Hello and welcome to Weekly Monotony, the official podcast of the entertainment blog DailyMonotony.com. And remember, no Russian. I'm your host, Dustin Anglin. And I am returning once again as the permanent installation sidekick, I suppose, Todd Anglin. <laughs> I'm like in a piece of art. <laughs> he's, he's, he's the pretty piece of furniture that we bought for it. That we put in the corner. <laughs> we can never quite figure out where to put it, but we just keep it anyway because it's got sentimental value. All right. Uh, well, it's been a little while since we've done one of these things, but I think we can remember how to do it. Uh, as always, we start off talking a little bit about what we've been watching in the interim between the last podcast. It's been a bit of a long time, so we'll we'll try to keep it down to only the things that we found uh, worth telling to you and uh, and uh, worth going out and seeing, or just things that stuck out in our mind as being so horrendously bad that we want to waste your time by talking about it so so todd <laughs> otherwise uh, <laughs> why are you here? <laughs> exactly uh todd uh, any anything new that you've been playing or watching or anything you want to talk about that deals with the world of electronic media and that's quite the world <laughs> it's pretty broad well it's been a busy few months probably part of the reason we haven't had a few of these uh and why i haven't missed much around the daily monotony.com parts i've been traveling around the world really for uh, the .NET speaker circuit for all you .NET developers out there. There's been quite a few events here recently. So between being in Bulgaria and L.A. and all over the place, I have not caught up on all the movies, but I have been partaking in some electronic media, as you say. Oh, that's good. Uh, I think I've mentioned something I traveled last time we chatted, but I've seen a few things since. Uh, in fact, one of the things that sticks out in my mind, TV season continues to push on. We've chatted TV season a few times, so I'm not going to dive into it, but I will continue to reiterate Fringe is the show to be watching this fall if you are a uh, at all looking for the replacement for Lost. Uh, v, I know, has started now. I've not yet seen it, but hopefully we can talk about V in the future at some point. Yep. Uh, probably early our conclusion on will Fringe or V be the, the go-to show. Or really, Fringe, V, or I've seen a few episodes of the, um, the pseudo-replacement for Lost. What is it? The, the time replacement show, The uh, Forgotten. Oh, The Forgotten. Oh, right, right. Which I've already forgotten. So It's <laughs> <laughs> well, a good title, I guess. <laughs> hmm, so uh, perhaps we'll have the, the Forgotten V Fringe Throwdown at some point. I, I, but... I'll go ahead and put it out there. I've seen the first couple episodes of V, and it's it's not Lost Replacement. That's that's my, okay. my, my brief opinion of the first couple episodes. Who knows? Maybe we'll get better. <laughs> so Fringe, I'll still, I'll still plug and encourage. Uh, and there's lots of great TV continue to roll on this fall, in addition to now the you college still, football. Are you still uh, watching Flash Forward? Uh, Flash Forward. Oh, forgot. Flash Forward is what I meant when I said the forgot. Ah, I apologize. I see. <laughs> this, <laughs> there, there the you replacement go. <laughs> name for the, the show you've forgotten. Well, it's it's all on ABC, right? So ABC right. spun up like a thousand shows. Yeah. Uh, and the forgotten is the one with uh, Christian. What's with Christian with uh, Christian Slater. And Christian Slater who was dropped from the My Own Worst Enemy show, yeah. and so they picked him up. It's kind of new crime drama. That's the forgotten. Uh, Flash Forward, on the other hand, is the pseudo lost replacement. Yeah on ABC. Yeah. And I've watched about half of this season. The rest of it's on my iPhone just waiting for a plane trip to, to finish, but yeah. uh no, I, I've but been, I have I've been keeping up with Flash Forward. Me and my roommate have been keeping up with Flash Forward and I have to admit, uh it hasn't blown me away like Lost has, but it's it hasn't been bad enough yet that I've wanted to stop watching. And it's and in the you know, the dearth of anything else really good to watch and since we're not watching I'm not watching Fringe and I haven't haven't caught up to the point where I feel like I can watch new episodes. It's it's still something I've been worth watching. Though I've I haven't heard a whole huge following or huge craze about it. Uh, uh, though I, I do think it's popular enough; it'll get another season, uh, which is good. I've I've actually 
I've enjoyed it a bit. I actually feel like I've figured out the whole rub to what's going on already this early, but that's it's my own speculation and theory, and I won't spoil it for anyone. But uh, I think it's worth watching. I, I don't think yeah. it's too terrible. Very interesting. I've watched up to the point where they where they basically introduced the fact that uh, Charlie from yeah, Lost Dominic was, Monaghan, the, right. the, was the arch, at least from the, the part I saw up to, was going to be the nemesis in this show. That's kind of where I've, I'm left hanging in the and he's, continuation he's show. Been in a couple, three or four episodes he's been in, in a couple more episodes, and he's actually been really good in the stuff he does. He actually plays a villain surprisingly well, considering he's played very much the you know the good guy in everything else we've seen him, you know, whether it be Lord of the Rings or or the... The Wolverine yeah, I, I could see him playing good villain. Just even from his uh, his flashbacks on Lost, where he was the the kind of drug, the, the drugged out guy, right? The drug driven ba- rock band guy. I can see how he could play that kind of darker personality very well. So I think it fit, uh, I think it fits him pretty well. Very cool. So TV season, I think all in all, so far the fall, not bad. I will say the most surprising thing for me, and maybe this is just by the fact that I watch DVR and I don't watch networks live anymore. But I've not seen any previews or promos for Lost, for the final season of Lost yet. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good uh, point. I, I don't think that bothers me too much, because I know it's coming, but <laughs> they certainly are definitely not trying to remind you that uh, that it's still a well, big I mean, show coming. I mean, think, think of it from their perspective. It's They're going to be their last season. They don't need to grab more viewers for it. They're really just paying fan service at this point, so... So I I would not be surprised if they just did not spend a lot of money on advertising. It's you know why do they need to at this point? They've they've got the fans they're going to get at this yeah. point. They're not going to they're not going to get an extended season if they do any better because they're they're wrapping it up. They want to they want to advertise more of the things that are going to keep going afterwards. So very true. I will say I did in my travels manage to make my way onto TV as a matter of fact. Yeah. What'd you get on? Actually, while I was in LA, was part of the audience cast for a taping of The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson. Oh, how was that? Uh, actually aired on Tuesday of last week, so the Tuesday of Thanksgiving week, and the episodes are all available on CBS.com. I'm completely invisible I'm in the audience, so that doesn't really matter, but uh, it was it's actually a good time. I will actually say the warm-up comedian for The Late Late, it's a very small, very intimate audience setting, sure. nothing like the other Late Shows, uh, and I personally think Craig Ferguson is the funniest guy on Late Night comedy TV. He's definitely got the best uh, personality, that's for sure. He's, he's, a, he's a stand-up comedian, and I, in fact, if, if I could introduce into these, this realm of electronic media, I actually own a Kindle now, so books for me now technically oh. enter the realm of electronic media. Oh. <laughs> I actually managed, and you know, I will give props to the Kindle, because of it, I actually managed to read Craig Ferguson's latest book, the uh, American on Purpose book. Interesting. And it's a great book. It was a fun read, probably one of the most interesting non-technical books, and I tend to only read technical books huh. I've read in a long time. And so I actually finished it just before I was in L.A. and went to the taping of his show. And he's a really funny, just genuinely kind of sarcastic humor stand-up comedian. If you read his book, I think you have even more appreciation for his, his style and his approach to comedy. But it was a good time, uh, and his warm-up comedian is, is even more of a good time, kind of a, a real raunchy, kind of small... <laughs> All clubs, uh, comedy. It was sure. it was all in all good. So, yeah. uh, the most shocking thing for me, of course, having not been to a live taping of a show like this before, is that it's filmed completely out of order, and half of the guests that were on Tuesday night's episode, I didn't actually get to see taped. So they clearly <laughs> break this up the way they filmed this and the way they put it all together, uh, which was a bit a bit of a sort of jarring experience yeah, when you go watch night tonight. But no, it was I don't. Still a good time. I don't think that's the normal the normal way they do those late night shows. So I, I went and saw the. Uh, uh, the not the Tonight Show, but the no, I mean, it was the the one with, with Jay Leno. Yeah, Jay Leno. Show. Yeah, so it was the Tonight yeah. Show. 
uh, and I saw that, and they actually they recorded directly to tape, and uh, they showed it basically pretty much as is. And uh, in fact, Jay Leno actually came out early on in the show and said, "Hey, you know, we're going to record this thing directly to tape. We don't make any edits. It's our policy is that we never make any edits. So if anything goes weird or wacky, we 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 put in the show. We think it's part of the charm of the show. So." Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's sort of interesting that they choose to do so much more cutting. Yeah, on, uh, and, and I will say, I, I don't know if maybe actual experience, because when I went to the re- recording, the taping, I went to a taping on Friday evening. I was in L.A., yep. and it was a Friday taping for the Tuesday show during Thanksgiving week. So they were basically taking all Thanksgiving week off, but taping the Thanksgiving week shows right. ahead of time. So maybe because of that, they were doing things a little bit you know, off-kilter in, in a different kind of way. But either way, it was it was funny because he actually Craig Ferguson came out. You know, they they play the the opening song. We're all clapping, cheering. He comes out, and he actually stops like stops stops the production. He's like, you know, okay, I'm sorry, you know, everybody, you know, everybody, I have to stop. You know, and really, it's it's a very small studio. You wouldn't believe how right. small the studio is. You're literally like, you know, 20 feet from the stage and and <laughs> and the, uh, the performer. And he's like, we forgot to tell you that this is we're recording as if it's Tuesday, and what. The stage production manager had forgotten to tell Craig is that they had told us it was Tuesday. So <laughs> there's this whole sort of like, oh, I feel uh, like an idiot because yeah. <laughs> I stopped it. And you guys really knew what was going on. So it was like right off the bat, you, you blew away your illusion that it just happens you know, without <laughs> any problem. But it was a great time. In fact, if you're in L.A., I just went online the day of, like several hours before, got tickets to show up at the taping and, and took part in it. And I would say if you're in L.A., it's a great way to get a – it's free. I mean a great way right. to spend – couple hours for free in the afternoon yeah, in it's, LA. It's, it's definitely, uh, I was surprised when we spent some time in LA. It's really easy to get on those shows. They they give away those tickets like they're right. nothing. Right, they got an audience. Yeah. So if you're a young male, which is like that target audience, right. they want to show like, oh, young males are interested in our <laughs> See, then, see. <laughs> see, they're in the audience. <laughs> We're then you're pretty guaranteed. So it's actually, for me, opened up my eyes to, oh, actually I could do something in LA other than watch the ugly no, city. There, there, there is a, a lot of free stuff to do. And in fact, if you go down to the Hollywood area, oftentimes you can get uh, uh, free tickets to event showings of, of stuff. When we, were, uh, when we were there, we got a free ticket to go see an early screening of uh, the Get Smart movie uh, that that recently came out, and uh, they had they had yeah. you know they had uh, the director and, and lead actors actually come afterwards and do a do a question and answer. So and that's it's pretty cool, and it was all for free. So I mean, cool. we got free popcorn and drinks too. And how many times did you right. get that? You in a movie theater? free popcorn and drinks. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my TV uh, experience for movies. I haven't seen any of the new movies in theaters. I'll put that out right up front. I wish I had. There are obviously numbers that come out, like the 2012 movie and some others right. I'm sure you, you can recap. But uh, I, I've been aware of them, but I'm completely unqualified to comment on them outside of the previews. So I'll let you cover that territory. Uh, I have, however, seen an old movie. In fact, well, at least most of it. Uh, a movie that stars a actor coming up in a movie I'm very interested in seeing hmm. called Holmes or Sherlock Holmes. I don't oh. know which is proper title. I think it's Sherlock Holmes. Uh, Robert Downey Jr., who I actually just very recently, within the last couple of days, caught in a movie he did in 2005 called Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Ah, yes. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and I think I remember you from a few years ago commenting on how you thought this was an undersung movie. Yeah. No, it's... It was really good. as it deserved. Is that your opinion on it? Yeah, I, no, I, I it was it was a word in your mouth. Yeah, it was a movie. I, mean, I became a huge fan of Robert Downey Jr. I think after his Iron Man performance and and uh, seeing that sort of snarky attitude he has and uh, yeah, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is one of the the early movies he became really well known for his kind of classic snarky, uh, quick you know rapid paced quick talk comedy sort of performances. 
And yeah, I, I really love Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah, I think it is definitely a movie that went, for at least for me, and I think for a lot of people, under the radar. Yeah. It didn't really get nearly the kind of attention that certainly Robert Downey Jr. now commands after doing the Iron Man movies. So if you enjoyed him in Iron Man and you're looking forward to seeing him in Sherlock Holmes, maybe over the Christmas holiday, check out Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Because I, I just kind of caught my attention and I started watching it and it was very entertaining. It was funny. The yeah. dialogue was witty. So... Uh, I think it's definitely a movie worth checking out if you'd all enjoy Robert Downey Jr. And it's yeah, if, if you if you enjoy that style of his performance, the really the rapid paced, rapid fire, you know, cynicism and stuff like that, that is it's a great movie to feature that kind of performance. So yeah, for casual gaming, I I have and for gaming, I've been most involved, and I know we're gonna talk about Modern Warfare two later, and I'll, and I've been involved in that, and we've got some great review for that later. On the casual gaming front, however. Over the Thanksgiving holiday, I found myself at family, as I imagine many of us did. Not, not where you were, a different side of the family. Yes. Uh, and I actually you know, was just sitting around. It was funny. We were all sitting around. You know, family was all up here, a huge gathering of family. And about half the room was just sitting there with their iPhones out, just doing something on their iPhone. Interesting. It's just amazing how much the iPhone has become like the replacement for family gathering conversation. So it's re- replaced the, the old Nintendo and booting it up has. some Super Mario Brothers. Well... <laughs> It was funny because the youngest kids all came with their DSs. So they all had yeah, their DSs yeah. out, and they were playing you know, Mario Kart and all their DS games. And then all the adults, like all the, you know, the, the actual like, uncles and, and cousins and all the older people who you'd expect to like, know better, they <laughs> all had DSs out and just buried in their iPhones the whole wow. weekend. So <laughs> I joined the crowd and pulled out my iPhone <laughs> like, well, and, and found the opportunity to play some iPhone games. Yeah. And uh, among the iPhone games I played, one that I bought that I particularly enjoyed was called Implosion, which is distributed by a company called GameSoft, or GameLoft, excuse me. Yeah, GameLoft, yeah. Uh, and it essentially is a very simple game where there are this kind of line-drawn, hand-sketched buildings, and it's got a physics engine, and your goal is to place explosives on the building and then blow the explosives and make sure, you know, you get basically get points for how you blow up the building. You know, it has to fall, all the pieces have to fall below a specific line. Sometimes there's other buildings on the map that you can't touch when you make your building blow up. So it's kind of like being one of those guys on TV that does the building implosions, you know, that they right. have to fall in the, like right on top of itself uh, and strategically plays dynamite for that. So at that level, it kind of had me, like the concept had me. Uh, overall, I found the game fun. I think it was only 99 cents or dollar kind of throwaway game prices. But uh, the only criticism I have for it is that it was just too easy. <laughs> I was able to actually beat all the levels that they ship with the game in about, I don't know, an hour of just kind of casually playing off and on, maybe two hours of casually off and on playing around family. Sure. And I never really felt challenged. It always kind of felt like mm. you could kind of always put a piece of dynamite somewhere <laughs> in a <laughs> less level. Right. Uh, so I, that's my only criticism. It was fun, but I wish they'd introduced more challenge so you felt like there, you reached a point where you had to try. But otherwise... It's a good way to spend an hour or two if you're at a family <laughs> gathering. So you know, it, it sounds uh, a bit like uh, sort of the mini games they had in in Red Faction Guerrilla. Uh, when Red Faction built, you know, everything around this destructibility and, uh, and basically, you know, these explosion and real world physics environments. A lot of the sort of mini games they had in that game would be you get, you know, five explosives and you have to blow up this building with these five explosives in some particular way. And, you know, you'd have to go around and be like, well, I need to put this explosive on this joint and something on this stress joint, and that'll bring the rest of the stuff down just based on physics. So, uh, yeah, so it sounds like a yeah, similar It's like concept. a simplified version of that, like right. a 2D simplified version of that. Uh, so, again, worth worth a few hours of killing time. I actually found, and this was interesting, because it was one of the first times I've just been forced to sit around and try to enjoy 
iPhone games for a long period of time. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and I will say that I was really found my I found myself quickly lacking or, or kind of hoping for that experience of a deeper gameplay. You know, it, it doesn't take very long for you to play a number of games where you can enjoy it for ten minutes and then it's kind of repetitive for you right. to start to long for, as we'll talk about later, that modern warfare experience. You know, a game that's more immersive that has more length to it that kind of carries you through it. Right. And so. I, Unfortunately, a lot of the bigger games like that, when you're kind of stuck on a 3G non-Wi-Fi network, you can't download them if they're only over 10 megabytes, so I sure. was kind of limited in that sense. But my wife had uh, Oregon Trail on her iPhone, mm. and I actually found that to be one of the most enjoyable, longer game experiences for the iPhone I had over the Thanksgiving break. <laughs> it's not new by any stretch, but uh, Oregon Trail is something of a cl- classic with childhood. Uh, and the version that's on the iPhone is a nice updated take on it, and frankly... If I, if she hadn't owned it, I probably wish I would have because it was a good way to kill uh, probably two or three hours of a family gathering, which for an iPhone is a great value. Oh, boring family gatherings. <laughs> the iPhone to the you know, rescue. those ones we all find ourselves sad about this time of year. So load up your iPhones, boys and girls, because that's the way you're going to spend two or three hours. Got Christmas time. break coming up, load up the iPhone. <laughs> exactly. So that's where I've been on the media, electronic media spectrum, as you put it, up to this point. All right. That sounds, sounds like some good recommends out there. Uh, so I, you know, I have been around a bit more and uh, and have seen a lot of the films that came out. I won't go through all of them, but I will hit some of the the bigger ones that we missed reviewing. Uh, the first biggest one uh, being a Roland Emmerich's 2012, his latest attempt to destroy the world in spectacular fashion. Uh, I mean, if if you if you don't know the name Roland Emmerich, and you probably don't, you definitely know the work he's done before. Uh, very famous for doing the movie Independence Day way back in the 1990s. Uh, followed that up with the not-so-hot Godzilla. And then uh, a bit more recently, he did uh, the other major disaster film, The Day After Tomorrow. And now, uh, you know, he's already, he's already managed, you know, to, to blow up the world with aliens. He's managed to blow up a city with a monster. And he's managed to, you know, destroy the world with weather phenomena. He looked for the next thing he could do and... That was, of course, the Mayan calendar, which is supposed to end in 2012. And this time, he was just very frank about it. It's like, you know what? The world is just it just comes to an end, and I'm going to blow it up. <laughs> All of it. <laughs> no villain other than the Earth. No villain other than, than the Earth, and it just just destroying itself with a whole ton of crappy pseudoscience to back it up. Uh, it, it's, it's an interesting film. I'll, I'll have to admit, it's the, the stuff that I've heard about it, and you probably heard about this, too, from for your friends if you talked... Um, asked him about it. It's a very long film. It's slightly longer than it needs to be. It's a little over two and a half hours long, which is intensely long for any given film. Jeez, two and a half hours. Uh, I believe it actually comes out to like two hours and 38 minutes or something like that. Uh, Very long film, which, you know, depends. Like, if it's a good action-packed film, those films feel like they can go by and you almost wish like they go on longer. And you think for a film where stuff blows up a lot, that would be a great asset. Unfortunately... Roland Emmerich takes it as kind of a license to do a lot more exposition, a lot more character building, a lot more talking, and that's just not what Roland Emmerich is good at. <laughs> He's great at blowing stuff up. He's great at making spectacular action uh, destruction sequences, and that's what really shines in this movie. There, are, There's some really good-looking CG effect sequences where stuff is blowing up and being destroyed. And the problem is it's muddled by this, this human story that... Uh, I don't know. I've heard some people say that it it attempts to be corny and it achieves that, and I've heard some people say that it's just trying to be serious but doesn't know how to be. And 
I think you could see it from either way. I just think it's not very interesting no matter how you put it. I don't think any sequence where stuff is not blowing up is at all entertaining. And uh, and even I found the sequences where stuff was being blown up. I didn't find it as entertaining as I found it in the past. And that's not for as lack of, you know, special effects genius. I mean, stuff looks beautiful in this. And I, I think they, you know, there really is uh, a lot of technical expertise and a lot of good artistry put into the act of, you know, sinking California and blowing stuff up. And I know there's it's just fun stuff to watch on screen. It's just... For some reason, I don't feel like they sold the drama of those sequences uh, this time as well. The characters almost react in a way that's like goofy. Like they're, it's almost. I think there's this one sequence where they're, you know, they're they're driving through California, which is about to sink into the sea for because you know the Earth is blowing up, and they're driving in this limo. And it, not not only are they doing things that are wildly physically impossible, and that's to be expected in any Roland Emmerich film. But, like, the reactions of the people inside, so, you know, there's two young children there to make it seem more intense because everyone's more frightened when children are in danger than just parents. Uh, and, but the expressions of everyone, it's almost like as if they're, like, there's these sequences, like, where it almost looks like, like they're staring at a big green screen. It looks, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, they do terrible acting against it. It almost looks like, you know, if you were to put a camera on a bunch of people in, like, a motion simulator ride, like Star Tours or something like that, and then you just, like, you know, <laughs> injected that into this environment. That was basically their expression. They're like, ooh, ah, and you know, they're almost, like, smirking <laughs> the way through, and it's like, are you guys having fun? You know, the world is being destroyed. You're about to die. I want to see some mortal terror, and he just never really got that it, He's got to wait for the behind-the-scenes DVD where we see the director <laughs> jumping up with a mask on, right. kind of trying to scare him from one side. It's like I never got. <laughs> I never. I am the Earth. Never got the sense of urgency or terror that someone would feel if you know their the world were coming to an end. And that, to me, if you know you're you're in a sequence like that, especially if you have children in it, you should try. You know, it should be. It should have me on the edge of my seat for none other than the fact that you know the people are acting like something terrible is happening. And I feel like other other films did a much better job than this. I feel like Independence Day did a far better job of that and just being entertaining in general. I even felt The Day After Tomorrow managed to pull off the people running for their lives bit a lot better than this film did. So, I, I, And overall, I don't think it's... I think it's something that you should rent if you're looking for something, you know, fun to watch. Uh, something that's not, you know, a very heavy film to watch. But uh, I, I cannot recommend going out and seeing this movie in theaters. Uh... That is, unless there's absolutely nothing else that's in theaters that you need to see, and I think there's actually some better some better stuff out there that is is worth seeing. So, so that's good to, to good to hear because it's one of those movies where you saw you know obviously tons of media budget behind it, sure. very highly promoted. But I agree with you, even as having not seen it. So once again, I'm completely unqualified to comment on the actual movie. But from a preview, sitting on the fence perspective, John Cusack as an action movie, first of all, didn't kind of hit. A what? An odd choice. Quite uh, make oh, sense. Kind of like, kind of like Ben Affleck as uh, you know, as playing a Tom Clancy or or Ben Affleck playing uh, Michael. Who was it? What movie was he in? Tom Clancy, right? The Sum of All Fears um, story. Is that is that Tom Clancy? I hate to get it wrong, but either way, yes, trying to some yeah, recap. Doing Sum of All Fears. Uh, Harrison Ford's role. Let's let's just make it simple. Um, it, it just didn't make sense to be at that level. And then the the plot. I mean, I understand that this time the Earth is imploding, but. I, I felt completely like we've seen this movie before, and granted, we have in his own recreations, but even at a more basic level, if we look at Deep Impact, Earth-ending Earth scenario by out-of-control physical event, black U.S. president, uh, you know, it's just all these scenarios 
that painted this movie we'd seen done before. Uh, in that, in the case, this case of Deep Impact with um, with the, the big right. meteor or sure. asteroid. And, and, the I mean, area. you feel like there are a lot of things that are very similar and very close to that. So, so good to review. One I think I will be skipping and waiting for on DVD. Yeah, I mean that's that's definitely the best way to go. It's it's not as bad that I would say never see this film. It, there are definitely fun moments. I mean, there's there's stuff in here that's memorable, that's worth watching, worth seeing once. Rent it. It's a perfect rent. Don't go waste your time in theaters for it. It's just a long, long film. Uh, cool. So another film that I did see, and actually this is one I think is worth seeing if you're a particular audience, is the sequel to a, a cult classic film, The Boondock Saints. And this is The Boondock Saints 2, All Saints Day. Uh, <laughs> surprisingly <laughs> enough. Uh, so, Todd, I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen the Boondock Saints, but uh, Boondock Saints is very classic for being this this indie film that uh, didn't do well in theaters, but got this huge cult following once it came out to DVD. Uh, very much, it's an it's a sort of Irish action flick. So it's about these two Irish brothers who essentially start taking righteous revenge on all these um, mafia and mob people in Boston and essentially becomes an excuse to have a lot of gun battles and a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, crazy bad behavior <laughs> by these, these two Irish brothers. Uh, very much a guy flick in every sense of the word. And uh, the original, it's, it's very, it tends, tends to be very artsy. It actually tries to be very uh, Tarantino in its, in the way it's produced with a lot of, a lot of shots, which are shot in very, artistic ways like for instance in the the original film uh there's basically a, the the way the film goes is there's an action sequence but we don't actually get to see the action sequence we see the action sequence as it's sort of rethought out by this this investigator who's trying to track down the saints and as he thinks through it this sort of action sequence unfurls around him as he's in the scene of the crime so it's very artsy in that perspective where he's there in the middle of the sequence and yet he's not actually there he's just talking through it and reliving it uh, the original film, I think, is it's actually a really fun film. It's a film I didn't see until very recently, but uh, I enjoyed it immensely. I thought it was just a great sort of balls-to-the-wall action film, something that did not try to excuse itself uh, to be anything more than than very much a, a, a solid action film. Uh, and this this film didn't promise to be much more, and I have to say it didn't it did not improve anything on the original formula, but in that way, I thought it was actually really quite fun like I, don't, I can't remember the last time i went and saw just a a pure out action movie that was just incredibly fun to watch and this this film just nails it in that way you know it's it's irreverent it's kind of funny it's you know it's it's there's a lot of you know insults and banter being thrown across between the characters and there's just a lot of great action sequences that you just don't get in a lot of films uh i think there's a lot of charm of the the two main characters in this these two sort of irish irish boys who uh who run around just destroying people, uh, destroying these mafia lord people, and I, you get a lot of humor from that. So uh, I, I would totally recommend this if you're looking for like a stupid dude film, like a film to go see with the guys. This is an awesome film to go do that, and that's exactly what I did. I got a bunch of guy friends together who had seen the original, and we went and saw this film. 
super awesome film uh, for that purpose. Not a good film by any means, but uh, a really fun film from that from that uh, standpoint. And if you like the original, or you know, there's any bit of the, the original you liked, you're not going to find anything too much improved on this one. But I think it by sticking to its own formula, almost almost to the point where it feels like it's a could almost be like a parody of the original, which I've I've heard some people review the film that way. Uh, and even even to that point, like it's 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 a more of the same, and you know what more can you ask for in a stupid action film? So uh, actually actually quite enjoyable. I would I would really recommend it if you're looking for a a good action crime thriller comedy. <laughs> Very interesting. So that that is the Boondock Saints, and it's you know it's really not a genre that you get much of anymore. Uh, I feel like in the '90s and '80s when we had the diehards and we had movies like Face Off. We had the stupid action films, you know, with that sort of irreverent comedy in it. And it's just, we don't get that at all anymore. We get these, you know, every once in a while we'll get like a buddy cop comedy, which are kind of in that genre. But but even then, not like the, the really like hardcore action films, which are also kind of fun in a way that, you know, Rambo films and Bruce Willis films used to be. Well, even Terminator was in that vein. Yeah, in Termi- and Terminator 2 especially. Yeah, Terminator 2 had had a bit of that, and Terminator 3 had a bit of that even more, which is why a lot of people didn't like it. But but yeah, yeah. like it's so rare to see an action film that does not take itself way too seriously nowadays. And so, uh, Well, it's a transition from, I think, the era of action films that were made with actors like Arnold Schwarzenegger, where there was this kind of air of comedy about it, sure. you know, kind of... You know, it was almost overdone exactly. to, uh, to effect. That was replaced when we had actors like uh, the guy from, and I, I forget his name, uh, the Transporter, who kind of ushered right. in this the, era the Jason of Statham. hyper-real right. mixed martial arts action. You know, we kind of went from the, the muscle man, Mr. Universe action to the, the hyper-real uh, mixed martial arts fighter meets kind of action, and I think that's where we kind of lost some of the innocence of the humor of action movies. Yeah, and this which sounds odd on the surface, but I think well captures the transition. Yeah, and, and and I feel like this almost almost brings brings you back to that kind of genre, and maybe and maybe you know as I'm thinking about this more now, maybe that's why I like this film so much. Is it really did appeal to that you know that sort of loss of film we had of the, the Bruce Willis era of of comedy action films. Uh, that you just you don't you don't get anymore. It's now it's it's either a crappy crap. It's it's always it's either a comedy, but it's you know it's, it's sort of Judd Judd Apatow kind of comedy where it's very much you know people in their natural lives, uh, you know a bunch of funny people in their natural lives making fun of everyday things, and you don't get this concept of these over the top action films with with humor built into it, with it still being a you know sort of a hardcore action film with a lot of gun violence and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, this is this is a a perfect example of I think bringing back that sort of '90s era action film, and uh, for that I you know I totally uh, applaud it for for uh, managing to do that and do it well. Very cool. So that's that's the other only other film I've seen in theaters that I would recommend at this point. There are definitely a lot of other movies out there, and uh, hopefully we'll get to talk about them more in the future. Uh, I would only add to that, since since we're entering into the holiday season, and you mentioned a lot of movies that sure. there are a handful of movies coming up that I'm excited to see. I just just want to mention them since I haven't seen a lot, and I hope to see these. Uh, I, I noticed you didn't mention Twilight: The New Moon. Apparently, didn't catch you. Uh, apparently, uh, that's because you know I I'm a male, so. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to agree. And I had no interest to see this. My wife saw it with some of her uh, her girlfriend. 
friends who are in town uh, for the holidays, and they and I managed to you know dodge that bullet, as they say. <laughs> um, and and I, I think that it it fits that crowd. No interest in seeing it. And if you happen to tie these two stories together in my appearance on the Late Late Show, my appearance, uh, my invisible uh. appearance in the audience <laughs> on the Late Late Show. Uh, with this movie, you can find my opinion well summarized by the comedian Greg Ferguson. Ah, uh, but coming up, movies that I'm interested in seeing, very interested in seeing as a matter of fact, uh, include not the ones that we've, we've already covered here, but things like Sherlock Holmes, who I always met, already mentioned. That's a yep. Christmas Day opening. That one I'm very interested in. Avatar, only because it's received so much hype, you kind of feel like you have to see it to know whether it's lived up to the hype <laughs> well, or so, not. So tell me, have you have you come around yet on Avatar? Are you still in the camp of, oh, the CG doesn't look like it's it's all that real, it looks like CG to me? I am still in the camp of, it's still just CG to me. <coughs> I mean, no, no. Yes, it looks imp- I've seen some previews and it's impressive, but it, and I, for me, at least what I'm seeing in the trailers and the previews, is not yet say, oh wow, this changes so, the CG so, game. So let, let me let me may put that around. Is do you still look at this film as for its technical merits, or do you look at it as like, oh, this looks like an interesting, you know, science fiction story? Really, from the trailers, I would not. This movie would not be one that really interests me because the trailers look just too fantastic. I mean, it, the colors are bright and vivid, which is very different for a sci-fi film. You know, it's sure. clearly trying to be a different aesthetic to what you traditionally expect from something that's sci-fi, at least our modern interpretation of sci-fi, which if you think of that as what Christian Bale and the others have done around that, is a very dark, very monotone palette for sci-fi. <laughs> brown. What's that? Gray, brown, black. Right, yeah, exactly. So, uh, it, to that extent, it's kind of like a, okay, you know, looks a little bit childish, I guess, maybe is the way those colors huh, come across. Like, who, who's the real audience for this? But, again, the hype has been so built around it that you kind of have to see it just to see That's true. You know, what's all the hype about. Yeah, I mean, when, um, when you, you learn how much money was spent on this. And, it's, you know, it's, it's James Cameron. I mean, come on. Right. So I, I, I was about to say, if it didn't have his name and didn't have the hype, this probably would not be a movie that I would rush out to see. But with the name and with the hype, I'll probably make more of an effort to go see this when it comes out, hmm. especially since we'll probably be in the same town yeah, true. when it does come out. Uh, the only other movie worth mentioning coming out this holiday season that I'm interested in seeing is The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. Parnassus, I think yes. Parnassus, which uh, is a movie you've probably never heard the title <laughs> of or have you forgotten it, but it yeah. was the movie that Heath Ledger kind of half did, and then he obviously uh, died, and then they kind of transitioned the whole premise of the movie and used Johnny Depp, Colin Farrell, and Jude Law to kind of replace what was supposed to be Heath Ledger's role to finish the film in this kind of new, re-envisioned imaginary world. I don't know much about the movie's premise. Other than that, it was Heath Ledger's last work. Yep. It's got these actors like Johnny Depp and Colin Farrell, which are kind of interesting in movies. And it's also a Christmas Day opening. Interesting. Movie, right? But this kind of surprises me. Right beside Sherlock Holmes. Right. So that'll be another one that. Uh, you no, know, it's, I'm it's actually to interesting. So, so the Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus is a Terry Gilliam film, which I if. If you've heard of that name, he was the guy who did all the animations for the Monty Python uh, series and the Monty Python films. Uh, he's also made several other uh, uh, pretty well-known films. He made the movie Twelve Monkeys with Bruce Willis and uh, Brad Pitt in it. Uh, he did some some older classics, which you may have heard of. Uh, he did a sci-fi film called Brazil. Uh, he did uh, uh, several other. He did a really old uh, 80s sci-fi film called Time Bandits, which is uh, sort of a cult classic. Uh Terry Gilliam has the craziest mind, and if you watch a preview for this film, you will sort of get a feeling for how bizarre his sort of style of film is, and how how crazy his imagination is. Uh, 
which 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 makes me excited about this. But I still he's very much a a sort of niche appeal for uh, doing films. A lot of his films appeal to a bit more cinephiles. He's a bit harder of a name of a director to know his stuff. But it's actually interesting. I, I uh, with the fact that this is uh, Heath Ledger's last uh, last performance that he ever gave before uh, he he tragically died. I wonder if more people will actually go see this film for that reason, and and perhaps more people get exposed to the sort of uh, wer- weird world of uh, Terry Gilliam films. Uh, yeah, I think the draw of Heath Ledger's name and Johnny Depp's name alone will be enough to kind of draw an audience you wouldn't otherwise get into this movie. So sure. interesting to see how the mainstream audience reacts. When I, they discover I, what I imagine there's into. going to be a lot. I, I actually am really interested to hear people's reaction to it because Terry Gilliam is. I mean, even for like me, you know, as a person who appreciates um, all forms of cinema, I I find a lot of times his his style to be a little jarring on myself. Like like I really love films like Brazil, but the first time I watched it, it was very it's almost very hard to watch because it's so out there and so it's so bizarre that it almost creeps you out a little bit. Uh, Todd, Todd, I think you've seen Twelve Monkeys, right? Correct. Uh, what what did Good you? Good movie. I enjoyed Twelve Monkeys. I mean, Twelve Monkeys for me is one that. Convinced me, Brad Pitt was more of a an actor than I, I gave him credit for. Yeah, I mean that is it, very much in that in that style, especially like those those sequences in between the the sort of uh, real world sequences where he's in that that dungeon with all like the scientists and stuff like that. That's a very Terry Gilliam style of just bizarre and weird scenery and weird prop work and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, I ex- expect to see more of that. And I actually I imagine it'll clash with a lot of people's styles, but uh, I would I would never discourage someone from going and uh, checking out a Terry Gilliam film because they're they are something quite unique in the world of cinema. Very cool. It reminds me, I don't remember the title of it at all, but it reminds me of an old movie I've seen on late night TV. I think it was made in the 1960s. It's black and white, and it really is just one of the most psychedelic, crazy movies you can, you can ever end up on, where some, I even forget the premise, you know, some person ends up in this weird, fantastic kingdom dungeon, uh, huh. kingdom running around, and, and half the time, time there's this chick in the movie and and then you you encounter these other it's just it's just bizarre i mean it's, it, it summarizes the 1960s but it yeah. kind of reminds me in ways of the the kind of craziness of this movie um and if i can never remember the title i'll, I'll pass it along so we can put it in the show notes oh, but um i wonder it would be fun to compare the two perhaps after the two come out yeah. but either way that's that's what i'm looking forward to this holiday season and hopefully we can have some reviews for those as they start to roll out here in the next few weeks yeah uh well, now going into what I played, uh, I'm actually gonna skip over most of that since uh, we've been going for a while talking about stuff, and we need to get into the Modern Warfare 2 review. One thing I will put out there, and I'll hopefully put some more content of my own opinion around this game, is uh, I have played through Assassin's Creed 2, and I'll have to say it's right now in a very it's vying neck and neck with with a couple other games. I think for being my favorite game of this year, so. Huge, huge praise for Assassin's Creed 2. Uh, if you if you read any of the reviews out there, people are sort of giving it this, the same feeling that it essentially took everything that was wrong with Assassin's Creed, the original, and basically listened to the feedback and did it right. And it's it's so rare to see a game company listen so well to feedback and then just do such a great job of fixing their sequel. And man, does this game just get everything right. It's very entertaining. I highly recommend it. If you're looking for a game to play in this... Uh, this time, as we have a lot of lot more vacation coming up, highly, 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 highly recommend Assassin's Creed 2. So I've, I've got to ask just for you to add one comment to that, because I do want us to get on to the, the main review, but 
I was a casual fan of Assassin's Creed 1 and felt like it got a little bit repetitive at points. Yep. Uh, so in just in just if you could pick one thing that they did better than Assassin's Creed well, 1 and I mean, 2. Let's, let's talk about that. That was a huge... A lot of people... And, and I'll admit, I, I actually really like the original Assassin's Creed, uh, despite some of its repetitiveness, but a lot of people did make the claim, and this is probably legitimate, that essentially you did the same thing over and over again in the original Assassin's Creed. You... You basically had to do three of the same kinds of side missions to get an assassination mission. You went and did the assassination. You had to run away. You got into the Assassin's Guild place and rinse, repeat. And you did that basically nine or ten times. And it was basically the same. The environments changed a little bit, but not dramatically. This this game addresses that almost like like so particularly that it's it's incredible. You essentially never do the same thing in this game. It's almost every single mission is completely different. And they, they do a lot better job of building up a story so that everything you do has a story-driven purpose. There's never just the go go pit pocket three people mission or go listen in to this <laughs> guy mission. Like that, things that don't make sense. Everything you do is very, very story-driven. So it's you're going, like, like, go find this guy because you need to talk to him and then, like, go do this particular action. And they do such an amazing job with, like, varying what you do. Like, and even the assassinations. It's not always, well, the guy is super protected and you need to go sneak in and assassinate the guy. Like, some missions will be, like, there are four guys in this town. They're in different places. Find whatever you can, way you can to assassinate him. And some of them was like, this guy's barricaded. Go get a bunch of guys and like storm the front door. Like, forget about trying to be silent and stealthy about this. Just like, go go in fighting with these group of guys who will fight with you. And it's much more like a battle or a war. It's, it's incredibly fun. Like, they do a tremendous job of varying stuff up. Almost to the point where you feel like you've, you're never doing the same mission twice. And, uh, and from that, like, that, you know, just that alone, I think, is is enough to address the the main concern I think people had with the original, which was a lot of repetition. Uh, but there's there's That's so enough, much stuff to convince me. Very cool. So so much stuff better than that. On top of it, uh, I could spend an entire podcast talking about it, but I won't. Or maybe I will at a later point. But <laughs> let's talk about the big game, the game that everyone is playing. Even if you're not a gamer, there are people who consider themselves not gamers, and yet they will play this game. And that is Call of Duty. Modern Warfare 2, the sequel to the tremendously, tremendously successful and often uh, named Game of the Year, Call of Duty 4, Modern Warfare. Kane was the first man ever to strike down another. And when the Lord came to him and said, what have you done? Cain could not hide his crime, for the voice of his brother's blood cried out from the very ground. The world has been your battlefield. Everywhere you go, the blood of brothers and sons screams out against you. So, so the original Call of Duty 4, 
I you know sold millions and millions of copies. It became one of the most successful first-person shooter games of all time, uh, based on the original Call of Duty franchise, which was you know for a little bit of history for the people who want to know. The original Call of Duty game was used to be considered a World War II franchise. In fact, the original guys who made Call of Duty made a one of the first successful World War II uh, first-person shooters called Medal of Honor. They didn't like the direction the second one was going on, so they decided to to leave the studio and make their own game, which they called Call of Duty, which is widely regarded as one of the best uh, World War II simulation shooters out there. Went on to make several sequels to that. They made uh, Call of Duty 2, which was also a World War II game. In fact, they kept on going in that vein. And then all of a sudden, for the fourth iteration of that game, they decided, you know what? We're done doing World War II, which, thank goodness, because there's so many World War II games out there. They said, you know what, we're going to do something modern. We're going to bring it, bring the Call of Duty franchise into the modern age. And they did Modern Warfare, which very much brings us into sort of a modern day, almost maybe 10, 15 years in the future style of warfare, where you're shooting with modern weapons, you're shooting uh, using, you know, laser scopes, you're using night vision, you're using all this kind of future technology of a very much modern warfare, hence the name. Uh, doing fighting battles in locales like in Russia, in the Middle East, areas where you expect to be seeing battles fought in this modern age. Uh, hugely successful, also very well known for its uh, sort of scripted sequences. So the game tends to be tries to be very cinematic, and that was one of the the huge uh, things that people liked about the single player part of the original uh, Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare was its very cinematic style to the single player gameplay. That said, that's probably not the reason that the game franchise became so popular. Its biggest reason was it probably had one of the most entertaining and most addictive first-person shooter uh, online multiplayer components ever produced, probably since the uh, since Halo 2 made essentially multiplayer uh, console shooters a viable concept. Uh, did a great the original did a great job of sort of putting things on a string for or putting basically little little carrots on a string that were really easy to get to, which sort of almost added an RPG element into it, where you're leveling your character up over and over, you're getting up levels, you're getting new weapons, uh, you're playing really fast, rapid uh, multiplayer gameplay where you know a few shots will kill a guy, not you know having to take his shields down and then kill him again and again and again until he actually dies. Uh, adds a very sort of, mixes a fun, quick-paced, realistic warfare thing with a very cool leveling system. Uh, that's what made that one so popular. Uh, everyone was essentially expecting the same and more in the most recent one, both single player and multiplayer. Uh, Mr. Todd England, do that's you That's quite the introduction there. That's do like you feel the longest one breath <laughs> I mean, there's, game that we all have dissipated ever. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of background to this, and this being such a huge game, you gotta you gotta make sure you preface it properly. I think we've done that. Uh, <laughs> so that all said. What are your impressions of Modern Warfare 2? Uh, first of all, I think as it's probably not much of a surprise to anybody with us at this point that it's definitely lived up to its expectations. It had big shoes to fill, and it filled them with uh, with great with big feet, great success. <laughs> With big feet. <laughs> well said. Um, now, to, to add some of the background on this, Call of Duty, the franchise, is published by Activision, but it's kind of gone back and forth between two publishers. Uh, that being Infinity Ward, which made Call of Duty 4, and then Treyarch, or I think that's it, Treyarch, yeah. right? And yeah. Treyarch, who made the Call of Duty 5 sort of intermediate 
which took us back to World War II, World at War, before we came back here with Modern Warfare 2. Uh, I don't know if they made it. Did they make some of the other Call of Duty franchises? Yeah, so, I don't know. So, so yeah, basically the Call of Duty franchise has sort of been split between two developers, Infinity Ward and Treyarch. Uh, they kind of trade back and forth, and most people, so the original people, Infinity Ward, uh, they started making the original Call of Duty games, and they did Call of Duty 1, Call of Duty 2, which was the first first shooter game for the 360. Uh, then they they skipped over Call of Duty 3, that was done by Treyarch, which is another World War II game. They did the original, they did COD 4, uh, Modern Warfare. Treyarch did World at War, which was another World War II thing, and now Infinity Ward's back to doing Modern Warfare 2, and you almost get the feeling that they've split into saying, well, Treyarch's going to do our, our classic World War II Call of Duty franchise, and uh, Modern Warfare, this, this these new directions are going to be handled by the original developers, Infinity Ward. Right, so it, there was some controversy during the production of Modern, or really towards very, very close to the release of Modern Warfare 2, where people discovered, in fact, even Activision discovered, I think, research, that they were going to brand and take this game to market <laughs> as Modern Warfare 2 without the Call of Duty branding on the box. And then I think sort of last-minute market research discovered that there was something like an 80% higher brand <laughs> recognition to the game when you included the Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 complete name in the marketing, in the name of the game. Uh, and, and I, at the time, very much fell in that camp of, well, duh, this is, you, you need to do that. This is Call, Call of Duty. Duty. Right. This <laughs> is Call of Duty Modern Warfare. You know, this is not some separate game. Right. That being said, having played everything from, you know, the, Call of Duty, the original one to come out in the 360. In fact, I can remember Call of Duty being one of the original games in the game, in the stores. It was like yep. the kiosk game, yep. the game that promoted the 360. You know, from that to COD 4 to then the Modern Warfare, or to the, excuse me, the World at War, to now where we are with Modern Warfare 2, it very much feels like we've, we've got two games now. We definitely have Call of Duty, the World War 2 game, and we have Modern Warfare, which is going to be a continuing franchise of a whole different game than what the original Call of Duty was, and and I think it's, I think they are just continuing to ride on the Call of Duty name just because it it reaches, I guess, by statistics a broader audience. But Modern Warfare is a game unto itself, and it very much picks up where the first one left off and builds on that. Uh, one of the one of the kind of interesting criticisms of the first game was that the the single-player campaign was too short. And right. early on, it seemed like that was going to kind of stifle some of the game's success. People were, you know, critics, and, and myself included, I'm not the hugest of hardcore gamers, we all kind of came out saying, well, we spent 60 bucks in a game, <laughs> and we only got, like, six hours right. of, you know, single-player campaign time. And that was sort of the, the story we all put out there with, you know, the first week after the game came out. But then we all kind of spent some more time in the multiplayer, and we quickly realized, well, okay, multiplayer way makes up for <laughs> like, you know the single player. I understand campaign. why I bought this game now. <laughs> the millions yeah, of hours like I went to spend playing ranking up. <laughs> exactly. Right. Suddenly it didn't matter anymore, right? So so we realized, okay, not a big deal. So I think the expectations had been set better when Modern Warfare 2 came out because the same story exists for Modern Warfare 2. It's still a very relatively short single-player campaign. Very short. I, again, not a hardcore gamer, I very rarely finish games, was able to beat the entire single-player campaign on regular difficulty, whatever that is, uh, within you know a couple of times sitting down to play it. So probably yep. within the same kind of About five to five, six, six hour hours, window. Right. Uh, but that being said, I did not this time feel slighted. I just felt it's almost as if the single-player campaign is a 
almost like a prologue to the actual multiplayer. It's kind of like is. you <laughs> play the single player to warm up, you know, kind of get the sense for the, the, the yep. maps, the levels, the story, yep. so that you can then go play those levels in the true multiplayer setting right. when you're done with the first player campaign. Yeah, it's or it's, the it's interesting campaign. you say that. Like, I did sort of get the feeling that, you know, it's almost like the single player portion could have been made by someone else. And as as interesting and as epic as the story is, and as I'm sure we'll talk about this more as 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 crazy as they try to make the story this time, it does almost feel like, oh, well, that that's this nice little addendum, like that's nice, this nice little appetizer. Now I'm ready for the, now I'm ready for the meat, and that's that's the multiplayer. <laughs> you know, I was treated that way in my mind. Like when I sat down with a game, I popped it into 360. One of the first things I did, and I'll put this out there for anybody who's not done it, is I installed the game to my hard drive oh, on my 360, so I could play from the hard drive instead of the disc. Uh, because, and this may just be my 360, but <laughs> my last 360 scratched my COD 4 disc, so when it oh, came to multiplayer correct. time, I could not play a very specific map right. when it loaded up in the multiplayer, <laughs> so I was not going to have that problem this time. Clever so move, take the 20 move. minutes, <laughs> install it to your hard disk. You will play it that often. Yes. Um, but one of the things about it, when I sat down and put it in the first time, is I had to consciously say, okay... Don't start with the multiplayer because yep. if you start with the multiplayer, you'll never you'll leave never the go multiplayer. back. Right. <laughs> like it, it's, it's such an addictive game that you know once you're in it, it's going to be very hard to get out of it. So, uh, so I consciously said you've got to beat the single player campaign before <laughs> you get to multiplayer. And you kind of knew because of the first game that it wasn't going to be like weeks. You know, you right. kind of knew if I sat down with this for a couple days, I could beat it and then get on to the multiplayer and have this really nice taste in your mouth kind of moving sure. into it. So actually, at that level, I think they're they're on the money. I don't blame them or think it's a criticism at all that they have something of a short single-player campaign. I think it's the appropriate length for this game, considering what they've built into the multiplayer. And you know what? I actually, I didn't mind that. And in fact, I almost, almost approached it, I guess, in a similar manner as you did, is, you know, I knew, you know, I hadn't played Call of Duty 4 in, you know, a year when this game came out, and I knew just jumping into multiplayer, which I guarantee you, I bet you I bet you over 50% of the people who bought this game jumped straight into multiplayer and have never even looked at single player, which is... Which I is... hope so, because when, when I got on to multiplayer, and I <laughs> played... And again, I was traveling, so I was a few... I, a couple late to this. Yeah. I didn't even wait till Christmas. Yeah. I already feel like a complete outsider because I came yeah. in like a level two. Yeah. Everybody else is like, it's like level, level forty six. Fifty and forty. I, like, now, I, I played. I played. You know, the second day after it came out, and everyone was already level forties, and it was ri- ridiculous. So, like I said, a lot of people jumped into the multiplayer, and my myself, you know, like getting into something like this, like I don't want to just jump into multiplayer because I know I'm going to, I know I'm going to get trounced for a while. But I almost feel like I need to warm up a little bit, and I feel like the the, the uh, single player campaign does a good job of warming you up to make you feel like okay, now I feel a little bit better. I feel like I can get I can get into the multiplayer and not be a total moron. Uh, right. We'll we'll talk a bit more about how that worked out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and so I think that in that sense it was particularly good. And uh, to the first speaking, just kind of specifically to the single player campaign. You made the comment about Assassin's Creed 2. One of the things they've done particularly well there is made it so that you'd never feel like you're doing the same thing twice. Right. And one of the, the big things that was very successful, each campaign in COD 4 in the short single-player short single player campaign, was that they varied the levels a lot. Very and much, I think right. everybody remembers, anybody who played Call of Duty 4, and if you haven't, you really just should buy the game for this single experience alone, <laughs> the remembers the C-130 level, yeah. where you're up in the, the gunship, you had a massive 50 caliber cannon, and you're basically just raining down on all these infrared signals of, of enemy troops. And it yeah. sort of defined that experience <laughs> of where every level you're doing something kind of different. Right. 
and they took that success from COD 4 and really built on it, in my opinion, in this game. And while you don't repeat the gunship experience, you know, as fun as that was, I every level felt like I was doing something new. I, mean, I really did. It, it was incredible because I would kind of get to a point in the game where I said, wow, I've done this and this and this. I mean, what, what could possibly be next? Like, right. oh, that's crazy. I never this. thought I would get a chance to do that. Yep. And so for as short as it is, you cover so much territory that you feel so satisfied when you're done. Like, they really put a lot, a lot of thought, every level and every challenge that was ahead of you in this very nice, tightly wrapped single-player campaign. So let's, let's, let's just go ahead and let's get single-player out of the way because there is a lot to talk about in single-player I, uh, I mean, I think I think we both talked about the length a bit, and I think we both agree on our sides that its shortness didn't seem to sting as much as it did last time around. And hearing some of the reviews and the and the sort of buzz around, I think most people agree in that in that sense. Though I get it, I get the feeling a lot of people took the single player to with varying degrees of you know enjoyment. Uh, so so the original COD Four was 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 very brave in certain ways that it did certain you know it. One of its the original uh, problems, I think, with the original Call of Duty Four is that you did seem to play so many different people. It was a little hard to figure out what was going on. But at least the original Call of Duty Four, you you basically had three different people you're playing with, or three or four, or something like that. And and during the middle of of this, and this is something entirely new, I think, to a first person shooter. One of your characters uh, ends up getting caught in this nuclear blast. Which spoiler for a Call of Duty Four. <laughs> If you have not played it already, <laughs> by uh, now you sh- you're, you you get played. you get caught in a nuclear blast and your character dies. And I think that's the first time I've ever played a game where one of the characters I was playing died. And that was it was it was very shocking. And, and I think a lot of people remember that that moment of being caught in the nuclear explosion and then your character sort of crawling out and you think, oh well, I'm gonna crawl out, I'm gonna make it, and then he just dies and you're like, whoa, <laughs> what, whoa. And I feel like the original did a great job of, of do, getting those couple moments where it was like, oh, snap, that's just crazy. And I feel like the second... So the Modern Warfare 2 single player does a good job of that, almost, only it does it so often that it, it almost stops hitting you after about like the second or third time of like, oh, snap moments. Like, they just... like Almost every single level has its own oh, snap moment to it, which is awesome. And I, I think I think games should be based on that thing of constantly making you just, like, be like, oh, man, I can't believe I just did that. But it almost came to the point where, like, oh, there there it is. Oh, there's the twist. Oh, there's the other thing. I mean, this... Like, you almost got to the point where, like, the thing I'm looking at right now, this is that... This is the part of this level that's supposed to make me go, go wow. And it almost just... Almost got doled to it after, like the first three or four times, and I was like, I didn't expect I could be, but after a while, I was like, uh, yeah, okay, I got it. <laughs> I will I will definitely agree, especially on one specific point, which I can consciously remember, you know, kind of commenting to myself as I was playing, is that almost, I don't want to say every level, but enough levels for me to actually think this during my playtime seems to end where you kind of get to the end of the level, and very often, it, you the screen pretends as if you've died, right? right? So, like, you do something, yeah. and then even though you've done it exactly right, you still get shot, and you kind of fall down, and you right. black out, and you're like, oh, dang, I died. Like, I did something it's wrong. Like, oh, it's, but the then you kind of, like, like, come back, yeah, and then, like, like no, kind of hate, kind of like you described the COD 4 scene. Like, yeah. you, you kind of see the world again, and yeah. you're like, oh, you're crawling. And then, you know, usually some guy you're with comes and picks you up and then kind of revives right. you and keeps you going. That happened, I agree, too many times like, in this like, game. Like it became less dramatic level. because it right. seemed to almost end every major yeah. level that way. <laughs> uh, 
I agree. So I agree. Some of it was over. Some of the endings and the climatic, let's say, uh, techniques used yeah. were overused I, and kind of lost some of their drama. I feel like there are a little too many gotchas. That said, I still think the the rest of the sort of and I almost feel like you know in the original one it, there was almost a plausibility to the storyline and it was almost it was almost more of a you feel like you're taking part of like some kind of big conspiracy war. Whereas this one almost felt more like a James Bond film, where like like there's literally a level where you're you're on you're doing a a, a snowmobile chase and you're like you're doing jumps and you're shooting one handed and I feel like there's so much of that in this movie that it almost feels a little a little more like like goofy action film in that sense, uh, where things are See, a lot more you, over you, the top. You just did a very interesting Freudian slip. You said, and I assume it's a Freudian slip. You said you felt like there's so much of that in this movie that it felt like ah, an yes. goofy action film. <laughs> there you go. Which which is interesting because <laughs> you know often people say what this game tries to do in the first player campaign is feel very cinematic as yeah. opposed like you're you're playing in in a movie as opposed to playing a game and and it, it, I would say it convincingly does that to the point that you <laughs> slip it up in you, you your do. description. You do. It feels it feels like a Oh, I would almost say like a campy action film. Like, like clearly, there's, there's actually. I mean, it's not campy enough that it's, it's goofy and ridiculous. But almost the things that happen are so ridiculous that it feels like you're playing some kind of action disaster film or something like that. In, w- in which case, I actually found most of that to be really fun. Like, I, I love doing things like you know a snowmobile chase or, or some of the other crazier things that happen. And we won't, we won't spoil all of it though. though we will talk about one, one part in particular coming up soon, but. Yeah. And I would agree. I mean, it, it definitely doesn't, you know, you start to kind of get the sense you're a little bit outside of the, you know, plausible. At the same time, I still think it sticks close enough to the actual technology and the sure. actual approach that for me, I was still able to plausibly believe I'm just a badass special forces guy right. who, you know, more or less is just really lucky. And, you know, <laughs> I can get away through all this stuff and survive. Um so, again, it still does what a Call of Duty does, which is stay very close to real technology and real plausible sort of scenarios. You know, you're not doing just like shooting some laser gun or something completely right. you know, off the wall. And there are a lot of – and this is where, again, I think the game makes up for some of its repetitive cliffhangers by continuing to throw new game techniques sure. at you. And, and one that I don't think is particularly spoiler is, you know, at one point you're in, the, in an ice level, right? And so you're kind of moving along sure, the ice, right. and you've got these ice picks. And you kind of got to ice pick along. You've yeah. got to do this running ice pick jump. Uh, there's another level where you're rappelling down on a rope upside down, <laughs> and you actually have to, like, you know, do a very special move as you rappel down that rope, which is just very cool. It's just thing rarely throughout your entire gameplay that vary it enough to make you think, wow, you know, I've got these badass moves I just didn't even know I had, sure. and you pull them out in a very appropriate and time. I'll admit, I think it, it did what I think Call of Duty... Uh, I'd say movies again. Call of Duty games <laughs> do so well in general, which is, I always feel like, you know, in a game like Halo, I feel like I'm the lone badass destroying, you know, the waves of Covenant uh, in front of me. Basically, you know, I'm one guy taking on the world, and I'm the only guy who's ever going to survive this thing. Call of Duty, I think, does a good job of making you feel like, like you know, you, you still feel like a badass, but you feel like, you know, one guy amongst this huge, overwhelming battle. And it's like, I can't possibly shoot every guy in this level. And you're not supposed to. Like, you're just taking part of, you know, a group of other people. And I actually do feel like it does a good job of making you feel s- like you're a small person in this much larger conflict, which is something that Call of Duty's always done really, really well. And actually something I, I really enjoy about this. I love feeling immersed in something that's much larger than me 
where I feel like I can run and like shoot at a couple people and then just keep on running and I don't feel like I have to kill every guy before I can move on and that makes me feel like I'm more like in a real conflict because you're not going to be the guy who's like well wait a second I gotta shoot all those guys before I can move right, on right <laughs> and, and I've I've said you've captured it in your your original setup of this game and I would reemphasize here this game is so much more enjoyable to me than the Halo series both right. in single player campaign and especially in multiplayer because there is less of that kind of one man versus the world you know right. unbelievable physics and, and shields as you said uh, it, to me it's much more enjoyable and even in a single player campaign we're not playing with other people there is still this team player concept yeah. of you know, you've got guys backing you up. They actually take the initiative sometimes yeah, and, to kill enemies. No, and I, I played this game very much like my teammates were, you know, I played like I would play, you know, if I were an actual person in these roles. Like, I almost feel like you can almost role play a little bit in this. Like, you know, like we go around corners and, you know, the guy be like, watch your corners. And like, you know, I get up to a corner and my, you know, AI teammate get up to the other corner and I check the corner over there and be like, clear and, and move on. You know, like I, I yeah, played exactly. the part of the person. I didn't just Rambo through and act like, you know, I, I, I tried to, I feel like it's, it, leads very well to you getting into the role of your character in this, which is something that I don't think first-person shooters do very well. Yeah, no, it definitely does, and I think that's another place where the single-player campaign excels in addition to its variety. So I think as great as multiplayer is, and we can touch on it in a moment, I think single-player absolutely excels at variety of gameplay, you know, really introducing you to a lot of different scenarios, and its pacing. I mean, it just yeah. it doesn't try to be more than it is. It tries to keep the story concise delivers a lot of variety in the action to you and allows you to feel like you're a a big part, you know, on a small scale to the battle you're involved in without being overwhelming or making you feel like you're just some unbelievably, you know, like you said, master chief killer. Right. And and I feel like I feel like and I think I've heard someone describe it this way, but I feel like the single player campaign feels like a series of really delicious appetizers, like little teeny small bites of something that are just, you know, good enough and delicious enough that you feel satisfied, but you don't feel, like, so full that you don't want to keep on going on. Like, each thing feels short and sweet, but it feels perfect for the way it was. Like, everything is is prepared perfectly around it, so... Yeah. So, but while things are rosy, though, I, I do think there are a few criticisms of the first-player campaign, or at least concerns perhaps worth raising. Sure. Uh, and I, I know one you're probably going to highlight, but let me lead with one that you've already mentioned, and that is that the, the first-player campaign does, at points... Um, it, it does start to have this sort of feeling of being not repetitive, but uh, what's, what's the phrase I'm looking for here? Uh, the single player campaign tends to have this mm. situation where you feel like you are. And I'll I'll preface this with another preposition and trail off. I really can't remember d where I wanted to go with that. But describe what, what it is. <laughs> I, I really can't. Uh, which means it's completely just my own my own speaking for my own good. It, it can uh, be. But can. I was going to raise a criticism for it, and I'll probably think of it again, but I'll let you take this. Because I do think while it is a great first-player campaign, there are things to re say that could be improved or certainly sure. are worth mentioning that aren't perfect. Sure. Uh, well, well I'll, I'll lead off with one thing, and I I actually played this on a harder difficulty. Uh, I'm not sure how it plays on normal, but I played on the second, the high, so not the veteran difficulty, but the, the I can't remember what it's called, the hardcore or something like that. Uh, you will be challenged, or you will die, or whatever Yeah, basically, it is. it's, uh, and I have to admit, I actually thought it was the perfect amount of challenge for me, because it felt like I couldn't just run and gun, I felt like I had to take cover, or I would be killed very quickly. My One of my big problems, and I think a lot of, I've heard this over and over again, but there's 
basically a level where you're in Brazil and you're fight, fighting in the, these 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 uh these favelas, these sort of shanty town district, and it almost felt like in that point it, that level was very poorly designed from the concept of a I didn't really know where I was supposed to go. Uh, B, there's a guy telling you, go forward, go forward, you gotta capture this guy, you gotta capture this guy. So I'm constantly being compelled to move forward as quickly as I can. And yet, there are so many people coming from so many different directions. You'll have to tell me how, how this worked out on normal. But I felt like I was dying almost every other second in that level. And it was so incredibly frustrating. Like, I literally died like 30 times in a row, had to like restart the level and do a completely different path to save myself from it. And I felt like there were a couple points in the, the single player where I felt like it was just designed so poorly that there was no way I could protect myself against these bazillion guys shooting from me. And of course, their enemies never miss. They like lock onto your face. And but what else can you do? Like they're always going to kill you, even if they're far away shooting a you know a wildly inaccurate machine gun. They still like shoot you in the face every single time. And I found that to be a little trying at times. Uh, uh, Todd, did you ever did you ever feel like even in the normal difficulty that that some of the th some of the levels felt a little poorly planned out, or you felt like some of the the enemies seemed to shoot you a yeah, little sure. too easily? In fact, you you reminded me of my trailing off point a second ago, which which I'll come back to. So thank you for that. Yeah, no problem. Uh, but but to your point, I. I did now, now I didn't have the same reaction of poorly designed because I guess those of us who are not sort of uh, <laughs> we don't feel superior to the level designers well, we assume it's I mean, our fault. So like, from poorly designed, from poorly designed, I mean like I felt like I didn't know where I was supposed to go in the certain levels. Though it felt like yeah, like the follow Brazil the guy, follow the guy. I'm like where, where, what? <laughs> yeah, I think the Brazil level is a, is a good sort of quintessential example of that from this game where there were points in the game and that was one of them. There was one towards the very end of the game where you're supposed to defend this. This basically communications oh, unit yeah, and cabin. The same problem there. Uh, and, and a few other spots in the game I can think of distinctly where I. Or okay, so there's another spot where you're kind of storming the White House across right, the field, right. uh, where I did die a number of times. And in, in fact, it probably took me at least ten times in those sure. scenarios to figure out which what you were supposed approach to do. of right. of you know throwing grenades and and sniping, you know, basically what order did I need to kill people right. and how many of them did I need to kill before, you before I could run forward. Because right. I definitely agree that there are points in the game where the game is imploring you to move along, yeah. but you quickly <laughs> realize that if you do that, you die. Right. And so you have to kind of slow down, start, like you said, kind of counterintuitively picking off a number of people. Like, okay, sure. I single-handedly need to kill yeah. you know, this many people before there's enough of a path for me to run through in order for you to survive. Now, I... In the regular difficulty, I definitely never had to restart level, okay. nor did I feel like the computer AI would kill me with every shot. You definitely felt like sure. you could get hit a few times and, and even run around hit a few times and not die. And, that, and that's probably the, the difference between the normal and, and the hardcore mode. Uh, but yeah, go, right. go ahead. For me, for, for my, especially my approach to gaming, and you know, I like to be challenged but not frustrated. I felt like the regular difficulty level was just appropriate. I mean, while I died a lot, one of the things the game does especially well, which kind of makes up for it, is it has a great checkpoint system. It, so actually, it actually is a very forgiving checkpoint system. In fact, a, a couple I times... Like I made enough effort. Yeah, a couple times I'd die like 15 times in a row, and then I'd move forward like an inch, and it'd give me a checkpoint. I almost felt like I was getting a pity checkpoint, which I, I appreciate. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, thank I mean, you! <laughs> I had the same... I think Brazil may have been one of the spots where that yeah. happened to me, where it's like I kept <laughs> killing people, and then you know I'd come back like the seventh time, and then I guess I killed one extra person that I was right. able to kind of move it past that checkpoint yeah. so when I ultimately died again, yeah. I didn't have to go all the way all back. Way back and, right. and I think the checkpoint system generally does a pretty good job of keeping up with the yeah. progress you've made so you don't have to sort of re 
hash a lot of territory. That being said, sometimes I know, particularly in that cabin level, I got thrust into a checkpoint where Did I was you? reviving in front of a guy I, shooting me. I I uh, had almost exact same thing in that level. I basically had a checkpoint right when I was out of ammo, and there were these people are basically uh, they're trying to shoot this thing you're supposed to defend, and they're about to destroy this thing. And so I kept on reloading. I had no ammo, and it takes a couple seconds to reload. And with it, that reload time, they would basically destroy this thing. And I was like, seriously. This is what. How am I supposed to deal with this? And I, it, it took me. That one probably took me the most times to figure out. And I eventually, eventually managed to like like pick up another weapon really quickly, jump off this railing, shoot all these people really quickly. <laughs> Luckily enough, like dive under a corner so I didn't get destroyed by the fifty other guys coming behind him, and found a corner where I could take some time to reload and and defend this thing. But ugh, I there yeah. I, sw- I, I think swore that's a lot where my checkpoint that system <laughs> breaks down is because it is so frequent. Sometimes it catches you and awkward spots, but generally it's helpful, but I do agree, as a criticism, some of these levels, and and since you had the same experience and hard as I had it on in regular, it sounds like it's kind of consistent to the level itself. I think it's to the level itself, Does Almost expects you, I mean, it sounds like it almost is designed with the idea that you are not going to make it the first time. Like, you are going to die at least once, if not several times, trying to kind of figure out what combination of attack versus defend, or, or maybe dodge and hide is going to work to get you through that section of the map. So yeah, yeah, I think there are some, I don't know if I'd call it level design problems, maybe that's what a game designer would call it. Um, Yeah. Odd spots of unusual difficulty. Yeah, a couple, I think a couple poor difficulty points. And and I've heard a lot of really good shooters complain about the Brazil level too, so I don't think it's it's just that I I sucked you know, too much. Though I did, it doesn't make you feel like like, come on, am I really this this bad at this but game? One thing the Brazil level highlighted for me that kind of rev- comes back in the multiplayer is that this game, across all the levels, definitely felt like it took the battle to a more multi-dimensional stage, where there sure. are guys shooting at you from above, guys shooting from you at ground level. And a lot know, more vertical, angles. And I felt like it was much more three-dimensional in the sense that there are people above you, below you, all around you, than the first one was, where generally enemies were just kind of coming from in front of you, and... and that's that's one of the few levels where I really felt it because sure. all those different house rooftop yeah, levels right. really and the little windows they can shoot at really kind of you know kind of in your face reminds sure. you of the fact that though, oh I got to be very aware of my surroundings. Though I did I did feel something. I mean this is another criticism. Though I didn't feel it as bad in this game is that you know one thing Call of Duty is really known for is the sort of infinite spawn where basically like enemies will spawn over and over again and they won't stop spawning until you move forward. I actually felt like they addressed that in this game. I never got, felt like I got to a point where I was just picking people off until I ran out of ammo and there were still more people there. Though I did feel a couple in a couple levels, like the Brazil level, that like the entire town was up in arms and they're all made up of you know like like thirty year old men with guns. I was like, really? Are there really five hundred guys with guns smoking cigars in this town? It's like, yeah. Uh. No, I agree, and I hate that kind of <laughs> I hate that kind of gameplay where you right. you feel like you're just shooting off. And autogen, because I am one of those people who does tend to just sit and to a, wait to go a bit slower and try right. to and kill everybody before I move forward. Kind of like when I do, just you know, well, it's not real. I do have that sort of sen- mental symptom of I need to kill all the enemies before I move forward. <laughs> exactly right. And so that really kind of works against me when you have these auto regen. No, I didn't feel like but, it was as as bad this time around. So yeah, no, I agree. I I do feel like it was not as bad because uh, I could kind of tell where there's a lull that I should kind of move yeah. move forward in. But the game earlier that you reminded me of, and it kind of speaks well to the Brazil level in general, is that I did feel that criticism you highlighted where while the game has a story, you still bounce between three characters. You basically bounce between a Russia scenario, (laughs) a U.S. scenario, 
and the the Brazil scenario, let's just say. Right. And the Brazil one in particular felt really out of place because you don't spend nearly as much time there as you do in yeah. the other two scenarios. And it was a bit hard for me to stitch together exactly who I was in each I... map. And <laughs> I think that the game, while it tries to be ambitious in that way, it does lose some of its consistency of, or at least its 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 story kind of right. breaks down. It's harder for you mentally to process because you feel like in each scenario you're the same person because right. you you personally right. are the same exactly. person. Yeah. And it's hard to kind of pretend you're a different and or different first person character in each of the levels. And I think for me, it's kind of like when Halo introduced where you could be the Master Chief and you could sometimes and also be, be the Arbiter, right? the arbiter it's kind of hard to make that mental shift that you're a different person yeah in this game it's even worse because you bounce between three characters and you do it more often and, and that's they, one of the things that i i don't enjoy very much right and i never felt i never felt like they reaffirmed who you were enough like i don't feel like they 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 talked your name enough you never really feel like who you who your person was and and the weird thing was is that they took a character they actually took some a couple of characters from the original game and in fact one of them i think you basically end up toward the end of the last game playing as this character uh, uh soap mctavish uh and that's sort of your character who you, who's the only guy basically alive by the end of the last level last game <laughs> and you're playing as that character for a long time and you sort of associate with that the problem is in this game Soap is in it, except he's like your commander, and you're playing another guy, and and that just threw me for a loop. Because every time they said Soap, I'm like, oh, it's Call of Duty game. I'm Soap again. It's like, no, wait, I'm not. I'm not Soap until you end up playing as Soap at the end of this game. In which case, I was like, I don't know who I am. I'm a guy with a gun. Yeah. I'll do what's told. Which actually, interesting enough, and we'll we'll talk about this in the next couple of minutes. Led to sort of an interesting way I played out at a certain level. Uh, uh, do you have any more any more things you wanna you wanna say before we get onto this? This well-known issue that I'm sure everyone has talked about already. <laughs> yeah, no, only to say that I agree. And if I could say, if there's one thing about the first-person story that I could ask, call, or in this case, uh, Infinity Ward to address, is that while I want the game to remain ambitious in that it can cover a lot of different scenarios, and so to some degree it kind of needs this multi-character sure. plot in order to put you in a lot of different spots, I-, I wish there was a better way for them to tell the story where I could identify more more personally with who I am exactly. throughout the first player campaign. Because frankly, even having played the campaign and being done with it, I have no idea who I was at any point in the game other than it was just me controlling a shooter. So I have no real personal connection with the character I played. I kind of understood my environment. I kind of understood why I was in different spots. But I really had no connection to the character I played like I would Master Chief, let's say, sure. in Halo. So or, or even... even if they had to stretch out the timeline and make the timeline a little bit less believable really like to have a first player campaign where i could more consistently relate to who i am in each of the levels and i and i understand the concept of wanting to create a character who's a blank slate that you can fill in with your own personality and you know i can understand you know you have the master chief he's very much he's he's not you you're playing as him he's but he has his own voice his own character and you're just kind of getting to to pretend to be this other this person who's his own character uh, and I feel like a, they, a lot of this was trying to be like, well, we don't want you to associate with a character. We want just you to be you and not, you know, fill in whoever you are. Though I, I still feel like they did a poor job. Like, I feel like a game like, like Half-Life does a better job of providing a blank slate of Gordon Freeman, who essentially has no character than, than yourself. Whereas, right. and, and yet it's still, he's, you still know who you are and you're still very, you know, there's still cohesiveness around who you are in a game like Half-Life. Whereas in this, you're just like, um, dude, one, dude, two, dude, three. I don't know. I'm just a guy with a gun. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the day, what really what the point is from out of this is that while the game is really fun, you don't have a really strong connection to levels, which just means you have to pay more attention to the story and less about kind of your 
individual role, which, it, you know, we kind of praised that before in the sense that you're not this superhero right. that ends right. up on every battle scene sure. solving every problem, but it has its drawback from you kind of really feeling that sense of um, right. kind of, a, a, I, wanna, I don't want to say apathy, but you, you, you don't have as much I'm in their shoes as you do when you're the same character throughout right. the entire game. Yeah. No, I, so let's move I on to the, to the major sort of elephant in the room. Ah, uh, yes. So uh, very early on in this game, uh, there's a level called No Russian. And a spoiler alert if you haven't played this, and really if you have not played this game, I please turn off the podcast right now. Don't listen anymore. I think you've gotten enough from what we've said so far. We're talking this long about it. Go play the game. It's a great game. If you love shooters, if you love video games at all, if you have a passing interest in video games, Play Modern Warfare 2. It's a great game. Uh, and uh, play it on Xbox 360. Yes. Uh, as Because I'll be able to find you on, on Xbox Live, and I feel <laughs> bad for you if you're on PS3. <laughs> As actually, actually, I've heard some, some comments that it's not quite as good of a multiplayer scene for... for uh, yeah, who, you're going to buy 360. If you're the kind of guy who just plays one game a year, you're going to buy 360 and you're going to get this game. Please get it. It's a great game. Absolutely wonderful. You know, two thumbs up. Four thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> many thumbs How many thumbs a human has these days? <laughs> Great game. That said, spoiler cam. Please stop listening if you don't want to hear. Huge spoiler. Level called No Russian. Again, happens a couple levels into it, very early into this game. Essentially, the game starts off with a bunch of a bunch of silence. You're in an elevator. You hear some people talking, loading guns, and sort of you know cocking weapons. You're like, okay. And you've been kind of given the story that you're going undercover in in something before, but it's you know it's quick. You don't quite catch it. Uh, you, and so you hear these guys like preparing for something. You're like, all right, I'm preparing for some kind of like ambush, ambush or something like that, or we're going to take in these terrorists. And then you hear this guy said, "Okay, remember, no Russian." Remember. And Russian. door opens. You know, the screen comes up from black. You walk out. You've got you know an automatic weapon. The guys around you are just walking slowly, and suddenly they open fire. And you're like, okay, you're opening fire. What's going on? Next thing you realize, the people that are opening fire on you are a group of civilians of men and women and you're in an airport and they are basically performing a terrorist attack on this airport and just shooting up everyone in sight and the entire scene plays out with you with your gun walking they don't even let you run they're just slowly walking through this airport as you shoot up every civilian civilian you see in sight and you know there are people you know, screaming and terror, and there are people crawling on the floor trying to get away and, and bleeding on the floor and, and all this craziness and horror going on. And, you know, police officers eventually come in at the end and, uh, you know, attack. And you, of course, you know, as, as the first person playing in this, you have the option to fire your weapon and kill civilians if you want or not. It, they let you sort of play it out. Uh, however you want, but you do not have a chance to, to change how this goes. You are basically forced to be a part of this terrorist group. Uh, hugely, hugely controversial. has been making huge waves, essentially because it gives you the option to walk through and kill innocent civilians. The only, Essentially, the only purpose of this mission is to shoot up innocent civilians in an airport, which, you know, as much as 9/11, we feel like is a thing of the past. It's, it's they're definitely bringing up memories of this. This is no, nothing more than you know a terrorist attack, uh, and you are the participant in it. And it's hugely, hugely uh, is, has caused waves in the gaming community, which you know you'd expect to be one-minded in this sense. And yet, we've been getting a lot of interesting and varying opinions on this. Uh, Todd, before I, you know, I give my opinion. What did what did you think of this level when when you first played it? 
Huh. Frankly, and just to like preface the podcast, you and I have never talked about. Nope, never talked about it. This before. Really, we hadn't even formally said what this elephant in the room was. That we yep. both kind of knew, what, knew it what it was. So, so that alone <laughs> kind of says something about how significant this is in the game. Uh, I don't know. I frankly was not as shocked when it happened as I, I, I have not been following the news, the blogs. I don't know what the general consensus is out there, sure. but it didn't just exactly blow me away, shock me. Uh, it, I don't know how much you paid attention to what they were saying before that scene happens, but they basically say, kind of like that Star Wars line, you know, many Bothans have died to bring us this information. Yep. It's like, they basically say, you don't know how many people have lost their lives to basically bring us this intel and kind of, you know, you're in the gang now. You kind of have to, you know, keep the front for us to get the intel we need. Sure. So you kind of get that sort of, you know, I've infiltrated the gang. I have to be bad in order to be accepted to save more lives, you know, for the greater good kind of thing right. at the end. Um, so in that sense, it's not entirely implausible. You know, you're kind of like, all right, I, I know I don't want to be here, but I kind of have to be here because I'm going to, you know, at the end of the day, save more lives because of this. Right. And we've, we've seen that premise repeated in movies and TV before. Sure. So it just wasn't entirely unearthing for me, unnerving for me to be in that spot. Um, I will say, yes, I pulled the trigger, and yes, I mowed down a handful of civilians, primarily because it felt like once you're in that role, it's kind of like what you're supposed to do, right? right. It's like it's, it's not like they're encouraging you not to. It's very clear that yep. you kind of do or you don't, especially when you're at the spot where you've reached the cops who have guns. You kind of have to fight back in order yeah. to, to yeah. progress through the level. Um, I never attempted, though I thought about it, shooting the guys I was with. I thought it might just end my level, sure. kind of like, you know, you shot the guys and that ends your level experience because you, can't, you can't blow your cover. Right. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I think it's being blown out of proportion. There are a lot of scenes and levels in this game once you get past this, and since we're already in spoiler cam territory, you know, one of the, what this level essentially sets up is at the end, you basically realize you are a pawn in yep. creating the scenario that creates the conditions for Russia and China to attack the U.S. And the U.S. essentially then becomes a battle scene for a large part of this game where Washington, D.C. is essentially, you know, just under siege yep. by foreign enemies. It basically, basically storming through the becomes, White House. becomes the 80s movie Red Dawn for most of this movie, where the Russians are invading. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And you're fighting in a very surreal kind of... You know, again, video games are very realistic these days. You're yep. running across the Capitol Mall. You're literally at one point in a helicopter gunship <laughs> trying to shoot enemies running around the on, World War II on the World War II Memorial. I mean, it's, yeah, it's very real in that sense, and also you know equally controversial in the sense that there's a a real battle happening on homeland America. In fact, there's sure. a, a certain point past this where you're running through a neighborhood yep. and actually having this gun, you know, door-to-door gunfight in a neighborhood in the in the actual mainland US. And so this sets all that up and to me that was almost a little bit more shocking than the airport level itself. Interesting. I can definitely see where the controversy lies. It definitely is a very much one of those things where you can so, so I mean, may, the, maybe we should have started. Today. This start, encourages, you know, terrorist behavior. Well, maybe we should start with this. But the game actually begins by it gives you a warning when this game gets turned on. It says, "Warning: There's a scene that uh, some could see as highly offensive. If you want to, at this point, you could opt out, and we will not even show you that level. We will not even let you play that level and skip right past it. They basically give the the option to filter this level out of the entire experience." Uh, That's true. In fact, it's a double warning because right. I opted to say don't warn me in the future. And when you say don't warn me, they even come back and say, are you, are you sure you don't want to be warned? Are you <laughs> definitely really, sure? Are you sure? It's really you, offensive. You know, <laughs> we will never prompt you again. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I, 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 mean, I, I, I took it the same way. I was like, what can you do that's going to offend me? Come on. 
Yeah, and, and uh, you make a good point. I mean, they did put that in there, and I think you could just as quickly say it's just like putting an age filter on a sure, video right. on the web. Like, warning, know, there are naked say, women yeah, behind I'm, this age gate. Do you want to yeah, go past I'm it? I'm 99. <laughs> Bring it on. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a weak filter, yeah, sure, sure, but they did at least acknowledge yeah, that there would true. be some people that might want to filter it out of the experience. And, uh, and I have to what's admit, your opinion on it? I, I have to admit, you know, if I were a parent and even my you know, 15 or 16 year old was playing this, I might, might consider not let, I would maybe not consider letting them play this particular level uh, from that standpoint. Uh, here's, here's my, the way I you're, took it. You actually make a good point there. It's a very adult, you have to be very responsible. And I hate to say that in terms of video <laughs> games, but it does take a responsible point of view to understand sure. what you're doing at that point. And, and, and I'll, I'll have to say, uh, so the, and this is partly, I, and this I partly blame the I had no idea who the heck I was. Like I was listening to this story stuff before this, and like you got you're infiltrating these people. You gotta go find them. You gotta you gotta make friends with this, this guy or what's his face. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna do that. And so when we first started up, I thought I was when we were in an elevator. I was like, okay, I must be in this guy's secret lair or secret base or something like that. I had no idea what was going on. And when people start opening fire, I'm like, oh, we're shooting the bad guys. And so I was like, shooting these guys. And I was like, wait a second, wait a second, like these aren't. These aren't bad guys. These are civilians. And then at that point, I was like, oh, may, oh, I must not be playing as the civilian. I must be playing as the terrorist. And, you know, my job is to do something so atrocious that it will, you know, cause a reaction, you know, and maybe lead to the further part of the story. So, like, okay, I'm playing as a terrorist. You want me to role play as a terrorist? Fine. So I went through and I, I shot up civilians. There was, like, a guy crawling on the floor and I knifed him. I was like, ah, put him out of his misery. I was like, okay, I'm playing, <laughs> I'm playing as a terrorist. I'm going to play as a terrorist. I will admit, though, like after I did, after I knifed the guy on the floor, like just the act of doing that, I was like, uh, like I don't like this is I, I thought I was you know being kind of funny in playing the terrorist role, but like after doing that, I was like, no, this actually is a little more disturbing than I I expected it to be from my point. And actually, past that point, I didn't actually shoot anyone else, partly because I wanted to see what would happen if I didn't shoot, and also just because it didn't it didn't feel quite so right anymore to be doing that. I was like, yeah. I'm I'm not entirely sure. I Yeah, well, I mean I can't say I can't claim as much moral high ground to say I didn't shoot, but I can say that I spent the first few minutes or not few minutes, first few seconds of that level kind of pondering if I should. I right. mean I will admit I when they started shooting, I started just kind of walking around without right. shooting thinking, okay, you know, should I really be like should I be playing like kind of like that light side right. dark side right. like, yeah. force of of things of other games that have that, like even Bioshock or some of the others. Like, if I make good choices, will my karma of my character be better? And I started the level in that mindset. Like, I, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to try to show the, the better side. But sure. you kind of realize at some point, it's, okay. it's the level, right. <laughs> the character I'm playing, and then you kind of just break down and, like, I'm bored, I want to shoot. Sure. <laughs> uh, it's, right. just, it's a sad <laughs> statement of, of, of the mental process. But yeah. um, I, it, the fact that it makes you even consider what you're doing kind of speaks to the fact and, that it is and so, clearly controversial for a video game to make you even pause to think that. And so, you know, what? here's the interesting thing is I've basically, from all the reviews and podcasts and talk I've heard, I've basically heard nothing but criticism for this level for a lot of people saying that uh it was it was you know good that they were able to broach such a concept of like should you shoot these people should you do something bad enough to basically gain the trust of these people and save more lives you know is it's the sort of the uh the machiavellian thing like you know should should the, the ends justify the means and what you're trying to do in this situation i've heard some people compliment that but a lot of people saying well the problem is they really don't let you make a choice in this level you don't get to decide whether i want to shoot or not because it ends the same way no matter what and eventually you have to start shooting the cops or else they'll they'll kill you 
And you can't do a thing like shoot the people and like stop or or they won't notice that you're not shooting and react differently. And uh, you know what? I understand what a lot of people have been saying. That, you know, I think this level probably could have been done in a more interesting way. Like you could have added layers of complexity to it. Like, hey, you're not shooting. What are you doing? Shoot, or I'm going to kill you or something like that. Or, you know, so, or they could have forced you to, to kill something. Like you could go through and not... And not shoot everyone. They could hold some guy hostage. And it's like you to prove yourself, you know, worthy. You must shoot this innocent woman that I have right here, or else, or else I'm gonna kill you, or something like that. And I almost feel like, yes, they could have added that layer of complexity and that layer of of more forcing you to make like confront the moral decision. But that said, I actually completely applaud them for 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 providing a first-person shooter level that is, you know, a spawned an, all this conversation. You know, for either whether they did it well or not, it's hard to say that they didn't do something that, you know, has caused all this debate and this talk amongst gamers, which, you know, gamers tend to be considered pretty low down the peg of caring and having, you know, moral values. I actually think this has brought up a lot of good conversations amongst people who are not generally considered to be the people who would ever flinch at something like this. So A, bravo for that. And and B, I actually thought it was it was compelling to the sense that I was like, holy crap, this is this is crazy. Like, I'm walking through a level and all these civilians are getting killed. Like, this is not what I expected to be playing at this point in the game. And uh, I think it affected me well enough that, like, I, when the Russians invaded the U.S., I totally understood why they invaded the U.S. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's slightly more plausible why they would be that ticked off. So, uh... And I think that it's a bit, it's for, especially in the gamer community, and again, I've not been following the, the buzz as much as you have, I think it's overblown to, to react sure. so negatively to this because it's a bit of a, a double standard. I mean, yeah. if we look at our other forms of entertainment and media, you know, movies have had this premise often where civ- sure. civilians are often blown away or, or killed in the name of creating, you know, trying to create some sort of controversy between sure. two other parties, you know, trying to stir up the pot. Right. And... This is just a video game representation of that, well, I mean, and I, I perhaps think... this brings to a head the debate of the difference between just being an observer and a participant sure. in the media. But nonetheless, it's the same story that we've partaken in movies for, you know, for for a long time right. now. And, so and, it's you know, nothing new in that way. And quite frankly, I feel, I feel it would be wrong to say that this kind of material is should be left should be you know left off the table because it's too touchy. Like I feel like one of the cool things of video games is you really can. You can get the chance to understand their perspective from other things, even if it's from the perspective of being these, you know, purely evil people who are who are performing this terrorist attack. Like you get to be put in their shoes for a second and consider some of the moral quandaries of that, even though in this this point you're actually playing a good guy who's trying to, you know, to sneak in with these people so he can do greater good in the end. Uh uh so I mean yeah, frankly to me, this is was hugely <laughs> eye opening at the same time because you realize how shockingly easy it would be, uh, especially That's... internationally. And as being someone who's traveled internationally, I, I can say this firsthand, um, how spectacularly easy it would be for anybody who really wanted to, to arm up with a lot of automatic <laughs> weapons and just walk into an airport and blow most people away. Sure. Because frankly, security on an airport is not <laughs> going to stop somebody who comes with automatic weapons sure. and who starts mowing people over. Sure. It's just not that much security there. Right. So it really was kind of you know, provoking in that sense of, wow, you know, frankly, great, we're not in a world where it's that easy or people are that awful. They just storm in and start doing this on a regular basis because they clearly could. Uh, and as I said before, almost more disturbing to me than the airport level itself was what it set up, which was that ground war sure. in the U.S. on the U.S. Capitol, which was equally thought-provoking. 
so it, even though this was a very socially complex, you know, kind of the most evil of people, I like this kind of of complex social evil more than I like the very base I'm a thug kind of evil portrayed in Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, so yeah. to me the, the the kind of, you know, evil human concepts displayed in displayed in Grand Theft Auto are much more to me are much worse than the kind of things that are shown in, in the uh, Call of Duty game here because, you know, those are just thugs doing things for the sake of being thugs. Right. The kind of crime being shown here in Gra- in the Call of Duty is the real kind of global social strife that we face today with a very complex society of sure. terrorists and st- states, war, and all the kind of things that are happening in the world. So while it is evil and awful, I prefer it over the kind of just basic thug behavior of something like Grand Theft Auto. That you see in a lot of the games. Now, now I know one criticism a lot of people had is that this this level seemed a little too serious for its own good in a... where the rest of the story seems very, you know, almost, almost goofy in some aspects, like the fact that you do have a, a snowmobile chase and that you have these these very James Bondian movie kind of themes that to, to have a, a level this serious, especially this early in, in the game, almost is almost trying to mix, like trying to raise itself above a certain level that it it doesn't deserve to be, maybe. Like mixing this something this serious into a game which is clearly not this serious in other aspects is almost a little bit of a disservice to, to the uh, the content. I don't know. I mean, if, if, if we all can claim to like The Matrix where we can storm yeah, an airport and pull guns out and mow down security officers and then SWAT team you know, kind of emotion, then to me this is just the Matrix done in video games. Right. And, and to some degree, you know, it's, it's, just, it's the exact same thing. We walk through security, guns brandishing, blowing down people. So I think it's just, it's more controversial because, again, you're pulling the trigger to some degree yep. as opposed to just observing the pulling of the trigger. But if we found entertainment in the past with this, again, I actually don't mind this as much where I'm actually pulling the trigger and being part of the story as even I would maybe The Matrix, where The Matrix, I'm purely sitting back and trying to sure. enjoy watching somebody blow people away. Right. At least in this, there's more of a social complexity that's making me think about. You have to say like, should I doing. pull the trigger or not? It should, like, do I need to really be accepted by these guys or not? It's like, yeah, I agree. There is a bit of that. You get that that complexity of the just oh well, these guys have to you know the Matrix people have to shoot these guys because they you know they could all be potentially bad. Right, yeah. and it ultimately sets up the the broader story, which is you know it creates the controversy that leads sure. to the storming of the U.S. So it's a realistic, pro- not likely but probable kind of global crisis story that you could see in today's current kind of uh, global warfare. I don't want to say conditions that we have today, but certainly it's more plausible than you know a Matrix or something, or even a Grand Theft Auto. I sure. mean, it, to me, again, it, is it controversial? Yes. Is it appropriate for the game? Yes. Is it being blown out of proportion by people? Absolutely. Yes. I agree. I think this is just this is on par with other media types we have, and it's definitely not appropriate for young kids. Yep. I completely agree with you there, but if you're mature about approaching this game, as you should be, even if at any point sure. you're sitting down with this game, you <laughs> right. shouldn't hand this game to a young person. And if you're a young person playing this game, I get it. I, I, <laughs> I think it's fun, for, especially sure. in the multiplayer, but you are playing a game that requires you to have some resp- some you know maturity oh, in the topics agree. you're dealing and with. You is... shouldn't be treating blowing away soldiers as, you know, like you're, I don't know, you're playing with water guns. I mean, I mean it's, 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 that's a good point. Like, I mean, it very much, I think a lot of people had the reaction of like, oh, I'm taking innocent lives, where in the other case, I'm taking, you know, I'm taking lives while they're shooting at me. 
And in you know even in the, in this game, they have you actually you know turn the tables and you're shooting down American special forces at a certain point. And so it's not always just shooting typical bad guys. Like I feel like people did react more strongly to this than just into the general concept of, you know, in this entire game, you're taking the lives of other people who had just as much families as the people you, you mowed down in this in this uh, airport sequence, even though they didn't have the chance to defend themselves. So. And this is really more about the, the way modern warfare is done. You know, where is the same... And I know there is outcry, but where is the outcry from the gaming community about the kinds of things being done in Grand Theft Auto? Yeah, you know, where you're... Shooting cops, you know, you're shooting, or you're, or you you know, you're mow promoting down civilians if you want to, right? <laughs> right, you're just driving over civilians, and, it, and it's much more, it's, you know, it's much more basic crime, you know, thug crime, sure. where there's not even a, a, a political motivation right. behind it, um, and it's the kind of behavior, frankly, that is more, well, because then go out and engage in that kind of behavior more mindlessly. No, I agree. You know, this is this is at a higher level, and I hate to say it's some sort of, you know. <laughs> It's not academically edified. It's not like, oh, you know, right. this is the appropriate way to consider <laughs> blowing people away. But it is done in a way that I think is more more appropriate in terms of the social political story being told. I, I, it's I, I think not the kind of thing that leads to, oh, I'm going to go shoot up an airport. <laughs> right. So no, I, I think I think I agree that it's it's emotionally powerful and it's it's incredibly thought provoking and. You know what? And isn't that what makes a good story? Exactly. I mean, isn't that what makes a great and, and movie? I, and I feel, I feel the the criticisms that oh, it could have been done better, it could have been done more complex. Sure, you know, it's you know, hindsight twenty twenty. If you're making this game, whatever. I I actually think Infinity War did a great job with the sequence, and you know, from all the buzz and controversy it, it's generated, I think you know, what more, what more do you need to see that you you did something successful? So. Yeah, and you know, if they'd done it a different way, there would have been, been just as complaints. many outcries. Sure. People saying, oh. It made me. Oh, they picked a woman and made me shoot the woman. Like, right. no matter how they'd done this, there would have been people trying to make controversy out yeah. of it. And you know, I, like you said, I'm just glad that there's conversation around it. I'm glad people are actually thinking about it, as opposed to. I mean, I'm much happier that there's a reaction from the gaming community that says, "Have we gone too far?" Versus just a just mindless. Like, yeah. I really enjoyed shooting up all those I civilians. Show people, who, which is what you kind of really expect. Starts. So there's so oh. people playing video games that they're not just completely mindlessly. Yeah. No, desensitized I, anything, to shooting people. If anything, I think it's showing that the gaming community is is beginning to mature a bit, which is which is a good thing to hear. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, spoiler on on what it is, yep. but I I think if you go about this game with the right mindset and the right maturity, I think it makes the single player campaign more dramatic, which leads to its success. You know in what? The long you run. know what I'm gonna say. I actually found to be a more more emotionally traumatizing moment in this game than uh than either this sort of invasion of of Washington D.C. or this airport scene, hmm. the destruction of the International Space Station, that really got to me. <laughs> destruction of what? You, of the International Space you. Station, that that oh, one, really? that one kind of got to me. I was like, no, <laughs> you can't uh, blow up the ISS. <laughs> that one kind of fell flat on me. I was like, oh, good. Now we don't have to, to try to <laughs> keep it up there anymore. <laughs> oh, good big waste of space. <laughs> I thought that no, was that I, was. I, I can understand. There are lots of emotional points <laughs> in this story, so I think at that level, it's what the game is. Yeah, cool. Single player, goodness. Uh, well, we spent a lot of time on this. Let's try to let's let's just try to talk as quickly as we can about multiplayer. Uh, Todd, go, go ahead. What, what did you think uh, after you you know played through this this crazy rip roaring yet short and sweet single player? What did you what did you think when you got into the multiplayer? Alright, moving. Alright, here we go. Oh, nice. 
Yeah, you're off clean. Keep pushing forward. Okay, guys, come up to the middle. Go, 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 go. Come coming up to the middle. Get one right in front of you. Stop! Oh, I'm gonna do. You guys come up to the middle. Right, right, right. It's hard. We've talked a long time here. I don't think that as big as the multiplayer is, much needs to be said because everybody's familiar with the way multiplayer works. You know, for Xbox and certainly COD Four sets up the stage for what the multiplayer experience is. Here on that, I think it's equally thrilling. I think they've improved on a lot of the aspects that perhaps were shortcomings of the last version. For instance, that kind of you reach a, a ranking cap and then you have to kind of re-rank through yep. all the ranks again. Uh, they've kind of solved that problem. And in general, it's the same enjoyable multiplayer experience. Good matchmaking, easy leveling up, well, actually, especially at the early actually, stages. I'll, that I'll, makes it very addictive. I'll, I'll, I'll challenge you on, on one of those things. Uh, you said good matchmaking. I actually, I actually feel this is one thing where uh, the people who make Halo, the Bungie team, does such a much better job than, than uh, is done by Call of Duty uh, in fr- terms of matchmaking. What matchmaking means is you know finding... Finding people within your skill range and trying to put you in a similar a similar game with them, so you're not playing against you know ridiculously high scoring people who outclass you, so that you know as you do better, you get placed with people who are basically your weight classes as far as this game is concerned. I actually felt like this game does a really poor job at that. I feel like I got thrown in with any random old group of people because I usually be you know like a low level like a five or a six or something like that, and there'd be forties, thirties, forty, thirty, forty, twenty, thirty, forty. And I felt like I got put in with a lot of really freaking good people, <laughs> and yeah. And I'll have to admit, when I first started started playing out this multiplayer, I was surprised how out of shape I was for for this multiplayer experience. I got trounced for a a pretty good while. <laughs> you know, in that sense, you, you you are right, and and I guess by good matchmaking, I was speaking more to the sense that it's a very easy, frictionless process. That's, you know, that's, you, you that's a good the, point. You just say, you I want to play a game, process, give me just some find people. a game, and you're in a game, and you know, it's not a difficult process at all. And right. I think, for me, sometimes I find Halo's process a bit convoluted and, and overcomplicated. Yeah, um, but either way, you are very right. I don't think I ever played when I started, when I, from the very <laughs> first time I went to multiplayer, I don't think I ever played a game where there was anybody less than a rank 25, and I was yep. ranked 2. Yep. So I, I don't know if that's because I'm the only rank 2 out <laughs> Which is possible. there, because who knows? Uh, you know, and maybe that's a challenge, right? If there's only so many early ranks, what can you do? Right. But I do agree that it would have been nice to kind of be been eased into it a bit so you weren't just the, the bottom of the, the totem pole for, for all of your early games. Yep. That being said, even as a rank 2 or 3 or 4... The way they've structured this game, I could still walk into a game and get kills. I mean, yeah. I still walk into the game, even in a rank 2 or 3, and I'd walk out with 5 to 10 kills, which, coming from a bad Halo experience, <laughs> when I walk into a Halo match, make, you know, no matter what, 
how it did the matchmaking. I could never leave the game with more than one kill because you just it just couldn't figure it out. Like everybody had, knew all these tricks and you know they're right. bouncing around and right. doing all these weird gun things. Right. And at least with Call of Duty, you can walk in completely off the street. If you can shoot the gun and aim and get somebody, you can walk out with a kill and feel satisfied that sure. you've done something. And I think to that end, despite perhaps the fact that it matches you up with people with ranks very different from your own, you can now steal their classes if you die a number of times or kind of level out the playing field by picking up their weapons. Kind of makes the class thing a little bit irrelevant once you get into the match. I mean, it gives sure. you a nice starting upper hand, right. but it doesn't make the game so imbalanced that you can't have a Well, that's time. one great part about the leveling up. Like, even as you get better weapons and better power-ups and stuff like that, I don't feel like they ever give you a extreme advantage in the game itself. So, you, you can still, you know, as a level 1, you can still kill a level 50 guy with no problem. Exactly. Now, you may not come out with the most kills at the end of the game, sure. but you can still feel satisfied that you killed somebody, which is something that can't be said, for me at least, <laughs> in my experience with, with the more modern Halo online experiences. Right. So, I mean, if I could sum up the online in, in, a, in a very short way, I would say that it is very approachable. So you can come in, you may not be the best player, but you can still have a good time, you can feel satisfied that you've accomplished something, because you're ranking up, you're yep. getting kills, That's true. even when you're very outranked by whoever you're playing it's very easy to get into the game and feel like you're doing something as opposed to just being slaughtered every time you spawn right. on the map. Yeah, and, which and, you will be as well. <laughs> yes, which 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 you probably will be. And they do offer, I think, some some pretty interesting, uh, notable changes. One of them is uh, now, and I I took advantage of this very early on, is they have a thing called the death streak. So it used to be uh, in Call of Duty Four, uh, as you got kill streaks, so as you got you know consecutive kills in a row you basically get prizes for it. You get little uh, rewards for it. Like, one of them would reveal all the enemies on the map. That's the UAV. One of them would actually let you bring in, like, a helicopter gunship, which would shoot at other people. Or you could bring in, like, a bombing run and bomb people. Not only have they expanded what you can do for the winning streaks, and now you can actually choose between several, and they've actually expanded it out so there are many more as the kill streak gets higher. But now if you die three times in a row without managing to get a kill in between... Uh, you actually will get a thing called a death streak, and they actually give you a couple little perks uh, for dying multiple times in a row. And one of them is you can steal the guy who killed you. You can steal his his outfit, basically whatever guns he had, whatever perks he had, whatever basically power ups he has. You can get what he has. And, and very early on, I got to you know as I died you know quite often and many times you know three times in a row, I would get these little death streak things, and then I would steal the guy's weapons, and I get to play with some of the cooler perks. And you get to see some of the cooler weapons uh, that you can get later in the game. And I actually found that to be a nice little reward for, like, for having to die so often. Is that you do, you do every once in a while get thrown a bone, even for dying that often. So, uh. Yeah, so it's approachable. It's not the, for me, it's the very much the opposite of what the Halo online experience is to a newbie, which is very unapproachable. If you don't know the way the Halo thing works or you don't know the tricks of the trade to, to succeed online, you feel like you're just kind of thrown into a big battle and you're running around just dying. Yeah. And in this game, I felt like even being in the midst of very much higher ranked people, yep. I was killing them enough to feel like I got you right. and <laughs> I had a good time doing it. And, and, and I think one of the, the big benefits they've done in this game, and it's something the original game did really well too, is they throw so many rewards at you for doing just about anything right. Like, if you get killed, and then you kill the guy who killed you, you get, like, 500 extra points for giving, like, a, a payback kill. Or, you know, if you, you kill a guy who's, who's on a killing streak, you get, like, a, you get a, a buzz kill award where, you know, you, you, got that, you got that guy's kill streak over. And 
so yeah, many in fact, little I things. Think you mentioned the death streaks. In, even in this version of the multiplayer, if you kill a guy after you've been killed multiple times in a row, you get bonus points for breaking, for breaking your, death your death streak. Right? Like I feel like they do a great job of just like. Like almost like as you would treat you know, like a young child of just thinking like good job <laughs> great awesome good job and like here's some points you know have have some, have a star and I actually yeah. think I think this game does that even better than the game did the uh, previous game did before where they they reward you for every little thing so even if you don't feel like you're you're getting in the top ranks of any game or you're getting you know twenty kills or you're getting all these these uh, kill streaks you still feel like you're progressing the levels pretty pretty rapidly for what you're doing. And I think I think that that really does it's help. It's what makes it addictive. I yeah, think. it does. I mean, that's part of its success. Yeah, for sure. I will say when I first got into playing, uh, I was a little iffy. Like I found I I first started playing, and I think I started playing uh, like the team deathmatch or something like that. And I found the team deathmatch thing, especially in the the, the smaller versions. So this was not like the large team deathmatch, but the the first couple levels that you version of it you can play. That it seemed to be a lot more like people camping in corners. And people sniping, and I didn't. I felt like I was running around a lot, and then just getting taken out because I was the only guy moving around. And maybe that's just my play style was not quite so so good for these particular kind of levels. But I didn't feel like people were being encouraged to come out of their hidey holes, and I was just getting shot by like you know five different guys who were camping in a little corner, and I couldn't move around a lot. And that was actually a little discouraging when I got into this. But as soon as I broke out into the to uh, a game type called uh, Domination, which is basically much larger teams, and they actually throw in, in, in a, a few objective matches at once in a while where we have to go capture some flag points. I actually felt like as soon as they force people to get up out of their hidey holes in games like in these sort of like this, I think the game type is called Domination, where you have to go capture flags. That's where I actually found the same fun I had from the original Call of Duty, where I felt like everyone was moving around, there were choke points, you were playing with sort of a, a group of people and trying to, you know, you'd have these, these points where people would come to a, a small corner and you'd be shooting out, you know, several guys against several guys, and, and that's where I actually found the game to get really fun, and I've actually played, that's the only game type I've played since, is the, the, uh, the ground war, the, the basically big team battles. I've been playing the Mercenary Team Deathmatch, which is basically... Deathmatch with no clans. No clans, right. And uh, I don't think I've had the same experience. I don't think I've found people camping. People are running around because I know I've had to run around to avoid being killed. Right. Um, but the, I will say that one of the things that's been particularly challenging is that the, the maps feel very complicated. Like there's lots of, as you said, little spots you can hide in where I have been sniped from. And I early on, yeah. I don't really know where I am. Like, I've almost had to accept every level that starts. Like, I have no right. <laughs> idea, like, where people are going to be. And I, right. I keep running around, and sometimes I will get shot and be like, I see, that's a place that's probably the people who know this map know yep. to go there yep. and watch for people like me to run by. I mean, yep. it's it definitely feels like the maps have gotten a little bit more complicated to that point I made earlier about the maps feeling more 3D in the sense that there are people above you, below you, in different spots. They're less There's flat, a yeah. lot of that that carries over into the multiplayer, and it's much harder to really as they say sometimes, grok all the different <laughs> spots where people are in relation to where you are on the map. And, yep. and I, I don't know, I mean, I guess you could go find the maps and study them, but sure, if, if your approach is to just jump in and figure it out as you play through it, these maps have a lot more intricacies and inter-rooms and, and windows that do make them much harder to understand sure. where the enemy's coming from than I feel like and COD 4 I, I did kind of get the feeling that they seemed a bit larger too and maybe that's why I got the feeling that more people were, were camping and sniping is because the levels did seem so so large that people didn't feel like they had to move around a lot whereas I felt like a lot of the, the smaller levels in, in Call of Duty 4 
force people to get up and move around just because there weren't as many hiding spots for people to, to actually sort of you, know, you make a really good point now that i'm reflecting on it the maps do feel particularly larger and, and that was almost a bit of a criticism because yeah. among uh, in addition to feeling larger it feels like most maps don't have that big kind of middle of the battlefield everybody clashes right, here right. point i mean it's like there's lots of little choke points spread throughout the map but there's no kind of central point exactly. where everybody Flashes and one of the maps from COD Four that I remember that's a lot of fun is the warehouse. Yeah. Where one team starts in the warehouse, one team starts in the field, and everybody kind of clashes at the spot where the field exactly. meets the building. Right. And I do feel like these maps don't have that same kind of you clash at a battlefront and then you kind of push into it and you get behind them and you kind of take over. These maps do feel much more I don't want to say disjoint, but it is much harder to get that sort of everybody meets in the middle sense because right. well, they are it's, very in that, segmented. In that way, they're more easier to flank people and get around, but from that sense, you don't feel like you have these, like, well, you know, everyone's clashing at, you know, at the, the big battle point. If I just respawn, I can just go run to the battle point, and that's where everyone's shooting. I'm guaranteed to find, you know, three or four guys, you know, shooting it out there, ducking behind stuff. I don't feel like I get the same kind of firefights in, in the multiplayer as much, though I do feel that some of the objective matches, as I've been playing, force those kinds of things, and those, I find that to be far more, far more fun. Most players still fun, but I do agree it's a bit different experience than God here's, of War. Here's one thing I would say, and maybe this is a criticism of it, is I don't feel like it's that different from the original Call of Duty multiplayer. Like I feel like they've they've added more more in different perks. They've obviously added more in different weapons. Uh, you get more rewards as you go. They're clearly different levels, but I mean beyond that, it's it's just more Call of Duty. Like it's it's fun, and I'll definitely play it for as I think it's it completely obsoletes the original Call of Duty Four multiplayer. It's like I don't see the reason to go back and play that one, but only in the sense that I feel like it's the same thing with just like a couple sprinkles of new things. Like I don't I feel like a lot of people have been saying it's completely redesigned. It feels completely different, and I just don't feel that way. I feel like it feels the same in a good way, but not not mind blowingly different. Like I don't feel like there's the new invention in this that totally changes the way the game is played. I don't know that I can disagree. I mean, to some degree, it, it wasn't exactly broken in Call of Duty 4, no, so there was no need to completely fix it or change it in sure. the new version. Uh, I do think they carried over much of what made the first version successful, and that largely is the addictive kind of leveling up and the addictive coming back to just be, you know, get the the next unlock. Right. Uh, I, I, I think that you've kind of well captured maybe what I was feeling before in Word in that it's a little less successful in its map design. I think the map design is a little bit more complicated and a little less just have a good time than the COD 4 maps. Uh, but I agree, it's not game-changing. It's it's just building on incrementally. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's essentially sure. what uh, Gears of War did, both in, in level a, and multiplayer. Yeah, it's quite true. And uh, I think it's just an incremental improvement. It, it's taken some of the rough edges of COD 4, especially in the leveling up system, which I don't think they nearly expected to be as successful as it was uh, in the last version, and made it more scalable to right. deal with both new guys who, like you said, the death streaks help, yep. and experienced guys who the leveling system now doesn't cap out. They can continue to level up. True. kind of embraces their, their behavior too. So, so. I, I guess I would put it in this sense that I don't feel like... I feel like if you didn't like Call of Duty 4 multiplayer, you're not going to like Modern Warfare 2 multiplayer, which I don't think is going to be many people, because I do feel like this is the best first-person shooter multiplayer experience out there. But that said, I don't feel like it changes things so differently from the original that if 
know, if you got tired of it or you don't want more of that, then there's more reason to play Modern Warfare 2. Because I really don't feel like it changes... It, I don't feel like it fixes something that was so broken in, in COD 4 that it makes it completely different in a way that you'd want to play it again Modern Warfare 2. But that just might be saying that it was so good in Call of Duty 4, like, what more did they need to do to make it, you know, as good or, or better in Modern Warfare 2? Yeah, no, th- yeah, this is the Windows 7 to Windows Vista of, of COD 4. I mean, this is the... the <laughs> that would be incremental... In- that might be considered putting a disparagement on Call of Duty 4. <laughs> <laughs> no, and not to criticize Call of Duty 4, I think it's, you know, I, I don't think Call of Duty 4 earned some of the press that Windows Vista did, but, you know, it was... <laughs> game-changing, and, you know, Windows 7 as to Vista, as Call of Duty uh, Modern Warfare 2 does, just polishes some of the edges, makes it a little bit shinier, a little bit faster in certain points, just does things, you know, a little bit better, where, as you said, it obsoletes the previous version. It clearly is the next step, but, you know, it's not completely earth-shatteringly different. Right. In which case, I would still put out the the saying that if you play Call of Duty 4, and I know there's some people who are just, like, not into that style of First, or that style of multiplayer, who are more into the kind of Halo stuff. Like, if you're just, if you're not, if you weren't into Call of Duty 4, they have not changed things enough to make you want to play it in Modern Warfare 2. Like, it's, they haven't done something totally different to change the balance or anything like that. It's essentially more Call of Duty 4, in which case, it's sensing, it's more of something that most people find really, really good, including myself. <laughs> I agree. All right, well, good grief. A lot to talk about. Modern Warfare 2. Uh, clearly, I mean, it's going to be up there for a game of the year. Uh, I'm not sure whether it's going to be my personal game of the year, simply because I do feel it is. I mean, for, let's 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 just go ahead and say final thoughts on this. Uh, and Todd, I'll, I'll let you go off first before I go into my my rant about this. What overall as a package, what do you feel of Modern Warfare 2? I think it lives up to what it was built to be. The the successor, both spiritually and technically, <laughs> of Call of Duty 4. Uh, it, you know, installment that you hoped you'd get from Infinity Ward that built on the fun of the single cam- single player campaign, enhanced the multiplayer experience, and even introduces a whole other experience which we didn't have time to talk about. The the, which, the spec you know, ops that's kind of funny. Right. The, 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 in the, the time we've spent the, on this, the cooperative mode, this, right? Yeah, the co-op spec ops, which is kind of like that. Uh, you know, the last hidden mission of the COD Four where you're on Air Force One, and only you can right. play now with multiple players. And, I, and I've heard nothing but great stuff about that. So. So, I mean, it introduces a, a, a whole new variety of gameplay to it on top of everything we've talked about. I think it succeeds as being wholeheartedly a worthwhile se- sequel, essentially, to Modern Warfare 1. Uh, so, absolutely worth the money, absolutely lives up to the hype, definitely a game worth buying and spending time on. If you enjoyed the first one, or if you missed the first one, definitely pick up this one, start here. Uh, and frankly, because so many of the other games I was looking forward to were delayed until 2010, like Bioshock 2, this easily right now holds my, my game of the year as far as 360 titles go. Oh, great. Uh, and yeah, I, I will, you know, definitely echo most of those things. Uh, spectacular game. In fact, you know, there's there's one thing we didn't mention. Uh, the game looks amazing, especially the single player. Like, I really was impressed by how good they can make this game look on the 360, and I thought the original one looked great as well, so uh, a continually impressive uh, uh, technically, and they managed to get this thing at 60 frames per second too, which I have no idea how they make a game look that good and that smooth. Uh, like I said, technically amazing. Uh, I think it improves across the board. Uh, I think the improvements are maybe a bit more minor than I think they could have been, so in that sense, 
perhaps it did not quite live up as fully as it could, but it definitely did not disappoint in any particular point of way. I felt the single-player campaign was was fast, quick, and exciting. I feel like the multiplayer is something I could come back to and play for a long time until I just get sick of shooting other people or getting shot by other people, as will probably be more likely the case. Uh, a Clearly a game you have to play. I don't feel like there's... Unless you simply despise first-person shooters and it's not your genre, this is, I think, the preeminent first-person shooter on any console, on any system, PC, or whatever at this time. Uh, it's a, it's a must-play game. Uh, it's, it's hard to give it a higher price than that. Will it be my game of the year? I actually don't, I don't think so. There are a couple other games, including Assassin's Creed 2, that I think appeal more to me specifically, but... Uh, yeah, uh, what a great successor to one of the great games. And, it, you know, to be honest, I'm going to look as much forward to the next Modern Warfare game or whatever Infinity War decides to do next. I think they've proven themselves as as one of the preeminent uh, game uh, development studios out there. Agree. All right, well, thanks for joining us again on another lengthy, long episode of Weekly Monotony. And as always, come back to DailyMonotony.com as often as you can to see the tidbits of media news and previews and reviews that I decide to put up when I feel like it because I decide I like something at a particular time. <laughs> and for the holiday season trivia, since I saw part of it earlier tonight, for those of you who have been fans of the Big Bang TV series, which we've talked about a few times this nice. show, Rusty Griswold from Christmas Vacation is also Johnny Galecki, the actor from... Big Bang Theory, who plays, as we all know, you know, uh, Leonard in really? Big Bang. Yeah. Really? Well, we'll have to go back and watch Christmas Vacation. Nice little go. bit of trivia there from, from Todd, our our regular piece of, of uh, furniture <laughs> on the Weekly Monotony podcast. Ah, I talked too long. See you next time. Peace. <laughs>